Happy Monday, everyone, and welcome to the 23rd episode of the Sneak Preview, our podcast that follows the current film release calendar. Today's a very special episode, as I am joined by 75% of the Filmgasm team. I'm Connor Zagari, and with me are Austin Johnson and Caleb Leger, here to help me dissect the recent HBO Max and theater release, The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It. How are you feeling tonight, guys? Pretty good. Uh, I, I watched this on HBO Max at home, so it's a bit different experience than the theater like you. I think both of y'all saw it in theaters, right? Yeah, I saw it in theaters. I also watched it on HBO Max because that day ah. I spent a lot of money on records and DVDs at a flea market. So I was like, oof, and I didn't want to go to the movies at, that night. So I was like, fuck it, I can watch it at home. Totally fair. <laughs> Fair enough. I'm the only one that's on the theaters on the team, so go did me, it, I guess. Did it add to your experience? No, there was a dude that won't get off his phone. <laughs> of course. Literally I had a great time. Looking at YouTube and texting or looking up the actual case as the movie was playing, and I'm like, just go back for the movie's over. God damn oh, it. Oh, man. That is frustrating. What what theater was it? Uh, uh, is it is it like a big one or some, a oh, place you go to? Yeah, it's an AMC about 10 minutes down the road from me. Yeah. Man, that's frustrating. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. I wanted to kill him. <laughs> <laughs> when I saw, side note, before we actually get started here, when I saw Corella, I had a group of old ladies in the row behind me who I think it was their first time ever going out to do anything because they kept asking each other, <laughs> obvious questions about like can you get popcorn here like is that that kind of thing whoa it's a movie theater you're like yeah you can get popcorn like what the fuck and they just kept like talking about their day like i did you hear about brenda she got a new husband and like just crazy shit like loudly that i didn't give a fuck about and they they calmed it down a little once the movie started but like all through the trailers i was like hearing about brenda and her day (laughs) people suck don't they How's Brenda doing? I care, but I knew too much. <laughs> that's that's really why you didn't go see Conjuring 3 in theaters, because you didn't want to run into her again. You, you well, didn't want to update on Brenda's life? There is just <laughs> something about going to the theater. Like, it's a luck of the draw. These days. If you're not going to a draft house, it's a luck of the draw. Like, am I going to get a fucking talker? And Dude. honestly, 60% of the time I do. Yeah, and it, it makes me sad because you think with like the essentially like we'll say roughly what year break from releases. I know Nolan made a big stink about getting his film out to theater and all that stuff. For well, for sake of argument, a year of people not going to the theater, you would think people would go back with like maybe like some kind of reverence or like, hey, this is something we haven't been able to do. And based off a lot yeah. of office numbers, people are going back to theaters that there'd be like some respect that used to not be there and yet nope humans are just fucking humans <laughs> and they're still texting during movies bringing kids their babies to already films i start crying halfway through and you're like shut your baby up or get out <laughs> I'll, I'll never forget the worst baby experience to a movie i would have thought no one would bring even, like their kid to i had a talking baby at a draft house screening of black klansman <laughs> Oh, that's bizarre. Yeah. And it was like five people there. It was me, my grandparents, and like this lady and her fucking baby. (laughs) I couldn't believe it. Dude, it's never the movies you think. Like you would think if it's going to be an R-rated movie, maybe something like we're going to talk about where it's not really the most intense R-rated film ever made. 
It's always something like Devil's Rejects by fucking Rob Zombie. And you're like, why did you bring your child to this movie? <laughs> what is wrong with you? Yeah, it's oh, it's a it's a it's the real epidemic we should be we have been dealing with for decades that we really need to start addressing. Truly. <laughs> oh, well, that was a good kind of warm up there like that. Uh, so before we dig into the latest war and case file, let's see what happened last week in film. Last week in film. First up, trailers. Got two to talk about. Uh, first up, Neil Blomkamp's secret horror film that was filmed during quarantine last year, Demonic, set for release August 20th. Do you guys get a chance to see that trailer? I did not. I have seen it. It played during Conjuring. Wait, no, it didn't. I saw it online. I lied. Saw it online. <laughs> it, it looks creepy. I, I don't know if it's that chanting or what, but there's something about this that unsettled me i'm looking forward to this it's an interesting ideal of like to me it's like bringing a modern take on a admittedly what's getting very tired uh paranormal fixation horror films have right now um by making it to where like she goes into that whatever that virtual reality is and something follows her like they open something and then freaky shit starts happening i like mom camp um i like district nine i like the leasing chappie was all right um I like this style. Ah, Chappie's all right. Ch- Chappie's uh, downright garbage. <laughs> Chappie's dog shit. Let's be honest here. Compared to District Nine, you know, when you have a, a film, I love District Nine. I remember going to see Chappie in theaters and just being like, I, I felt like I got shot in the heart. Was it the? Was it Die Arkwood? Was that what? Did you guys uh, yeah, yeah, and and just and just Chappie himself. Uh, just, yeah, I wasn't down with the essentially main character fair enough uh yeah no bomb can't for the most part i like his style and i'm curious what he does with a full-on horror movie and not just yes sci-fi so because i know for a while he was before they for ever reason they passed upon to give it back to ridley scott he was talking about an alien five and i was so interested in what he wanted to do with right that. yeah yeah instead of what we ended up getting yeah, that was a huge missed opportunity. I wonder if Michael Bean like did get clean for that, and then like they took it away from him. And I wonder if he just went fuck it and relapsed because <laughs> that was a big thing. Like Michael Bean, you can't be in this unless you get clean. And I mean, talk about raising that guy's expectations. I know, I dude, I've they're still. I saw literally, I saw a concept art this past week for it. Like they're yeah. still releasing concept art for it, and. What they want, what he wanted to do that movie would have been fucking awesome. Well, maybe he'll get to do like an animated movie or a video game or throw it into the alien show they're doing. Maybe something might come of that. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. But yeah, no, Demon looks cool. I'll check it out. I'm I'm curious on what he'll do. Hopefully, Die Arnold isn't in the movie. I don't think they're anywhere anymore. I think that no. toxic as fuck couple broke up. Yeah, yeah this is. It's a different, different kind of uh, era of Blomkamp's career. He hasn't. I mean, Chappie's last feature film that came out six years ago. Yeah. Uh, District Nine is his directorial debut, 
Uh, he, so he does three in a row right away and then we haven't seen. So I, yeah, I, I'm very excited to see. I, I think this could be probably the best part of his career, right? Where he's kind of figured some stuff out, taking some time to really, what do I want to do after making these sci-fi movies? Like, like Caleb said, straight horror. It's going to be cool. At the very least, Neil Blomkamp is a very creative filmmaker who like was releasing stuff that nobody had really seen before. Yeah. And then he just kind of disappeared after the, you know, AI meets South African rap movie didn't work. <laughs> Who'd have thought? <laughs> so, Who'd have thought? <laughs> maybe, we'll, you know, this might be a, a good resurgence. I hope it works. I think, you know, like I said, the trailer unnerved me. It creeped me out. Um, next, a sci-fi drama from Westworld producer Lisa Joy, Reminiscence, starring Hugh Jackman and Rebecca Ferguson, among others, also comes out August 20th. And this looks like, you know, Inception meets, like, The Greatest Showman. This looks like a very odd film. Yeah, I'm not completely sold on this one. Granted, I am not, I have not seen Westworld. I, I hear how great it is. Haven't watched it. I've kind of learned my lesson with Game of Thrones when it comes to HBO shows. Either I watch it as it's coming out, or I just fucking wait till it's over. <laughs> um, but uh, it, I, I know a lot of people like that show, so I know that's like a huge hit show. And um, I, I like the cast involved. I mean, you got Hugh Jackman, Rebecca Ferguson, off the bat, those two are. I like both of them a lot. The what is it? The ocean taking over like the cities and stuff seems like a cool part of the movie, but. I don't know. It doesn't, there's not a whole lot that really grabbed me to rush out to see it. I, yeah, like I said, it, it looks like Inception, like <clears throat> very much. Yeah. Like Inception. Yeah. I, I just don't. This does not scream anything to me. I mean, look on IMDb, it says the little plot thing is a scientist discovers a way to relive your past and uses the technology to search for his long lost love. I've seen that a fucking million times, you know, <laughs> yeah. of the past. The, the past decade, the 2010s, like you said, after Inception, is just like everyone just trying to stroke it, talking about this this kind of sci-fi love stuff. And I, I just don't, I'm not, I'm, I'm bored with it at this point. I would have to hear other people say, this is really good for me to, for me to care, you know? Uh, there's, yeah, too, too much of this. It's, it's redundant. Yeah. There's just, you know, there's a, there's a lack of originality in film these days, you know, when rather wait for rather wait for Dune. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think it's, I think it's a little bit that like you were saying, kind of that lack of originality. I think it's more like, and I, as a, as a bit, as a lifelong horror fan, I've noticed this when it comes, especially to like the big budget studio Hollywood system, something takes off that's super fucking popular and instead of looking at what made that particular movie resonate with so many people, Hollywood just looks at, ah, Inception, it did really cool mind fucking mm-hmm. stuff. Keep making movies like that. You see yeah. it all the time, right? Like Saw came out. No one looked at why Saw was a huge hit as far as the studio. They just went, oh, people like the torture and the traps. Give right. us yeah. That's all we got for fucking years. And then you're seeing, you saw it found footage when Paranormal Activity came out. You're currently seeing with the Paranormal yep. trend. We're just seeing yeah. Paranormal after Paranormal. Hollywood just latches on to something and just keeps it going to it runs, runs that into the ground and something else takes off. Doesn't that suck? Is <laughs> means we just get the same movie for like 10 years. Yeah. I mean, more recent. Th- I mean, I would say more recently, look at John Wick. 
that became such a hit. How many action films have been? Yeah. Yeah. John Wick meets blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, this kind of actor who's in his 40s or 50s and is like, I can just do everything. It's like, what? No. (laughs) Keanu can do everything. (laughs) We literally got two of those this year. We had nobody earlier. We're getting the protege in a few months. Yeah. And some of them I like, you know, like Shot Caller from a few years ago. Love that movie. But there's so many of those, you know, there's so many of like, yeah, guy just walking around and impressive direction. But yeah, it's it's redundant for for Lisa Joy. I feel this is her directorial debut, you know, and she she writes and writing and directing. All she's done is the Westworld as far as directing. So I just I wish it was kind of a seem I wish it was more out of her comfort zone, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like she's playing within her comfort zone. Again, yeah, she had, if, yeah. I don't know if any of this shit's in Westworld, but it sounds like it is. So yeah. I, I watched the first two seasons of Westworld. I thought the first Same. season was really good. And then season two was a chore. Season two was complex as hell, difficult to understand, and put me off. I still haven't watched three, and I don't know if I will. Dude, that's why I say, man, like, I got into Game of Thrones finally after, like, you and so many other people telling me, like, you gotta watch it. And I remember, I've always told people your fucking way of selling it. Dude, it has tits and dragons. You'll like it. <laughs> all right. Um, I remember I watched it all the way up time for that eighth season. Got, got caught up everything. Season eight comes on, and holy shit, I was like, I got all caught up for this. Like I'm watching that season, watching the fans who I've never seen in my short life of watching film and TV, seeing a fan base go from loving it to just hating something so much in such a quick amount of time. Yeah. And yeah. ever since then, I'm like, okay, HBO, you're in on board when you first air it. I'm going to wait till this shit ends because clearly I've learned my lesson. That's fair. Yeah, and granted, this movie, Remin- Reminiscence, looks very much like an episode of Westworld. You know, you go into a machine, you relive your memories, try to find your lost love. That's, it feels like it could be an episode of the show. Yeah, and, exactly. You know, I don't... I bet it's going to look amazing. I bet it's going to be, you know, at the Oscars for production design, visual effects, some stuff like that. But it's going to be one of those movies that nobody's going to talk about for, like, maybe ever again. Yeah, I'll let it surprise us. Yeah. <laughs> um, quickly, character actress Romy Windsor has died at 57 from cardiac arrest. She's known mostly for her role as Kimberly in 1997's Face Off, but she also appeared in such films as Camp Nowhere and Howling 4, the original Nightmare. Uh, always sad to see an actor pass away, especially so young. Uh, fucking love Face Off. Uh who doesn't? Yeah. Face off. Oh. The bomb. <laughs> How in the hell they're going to do a sequel of this? I'll never, I don't know. It better be the most incredible jump the shark. Are you fucking kidding me? Story that I've ever seen. <laughs> there is no actor like Nicolas Cage. So right off the bat, I don't know. I'm not mentioning the sequel to face off. Him and John Travolta are a huge reason that movie works so well. Can't believe I'm saying that on John Travolta, but hey, you know. They have both, I will, you know, as much as I love Cage, as much as I want to enjoy Travolta, they have both lost a lot of their luster. They need this. And, well, look, the end of Face Off, it literally ends with, you know, Archer getting his face back. Troy's body's probably thrown in a 
mass grave somewhere. I doubt the surgeons even bothered to put his face back on. I wouldn't. He's dead. <laughs> He's a terrorist. I would, I would argue Travolta needs this more than Cage because Cage has been doing a hell of a yes. like on the indie horror scene. I have been loving the shit he's coming out with. I mean, Mandy, I love Mandy. Loved him and mom and dad. Um, I need to see Really's Wonderland, so he's really good in that. Like his like indie scene he's been doing recently has been strong. True, but a lot of that has not brought home like box office money. Well, no, because it's again, it's indie and it's horror, so it's not getting any attention outside of like horror fans. Which he needs that. He needs like. But, you know, maybe he's found a comfort zone. Maybe he's done, you know, taking everything. Can you imagine face-off two falling apart because Nicolas Cage says no? <laughs> I mean, that could very well happen. Nicolas Cage saying no to a role? No way. No, he's still saying yes to roles, damn it. <laughs> like yep. he's got, you know, like in Bruce Almighty when he becomes God and he has like the, the prayer answering machine, like email and he just clicks like yes on all of them and answers everybody's prayers. I feel like that's Nick Cage when it comes to accepting like scripts. Just yeah. Automatic yes. He doesn't hey, even read yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. I don't give him credit. And it's like his indie scene he's been doing recently. Like he's been restrained through a good chunk of those movies, but he still gives us Cage moments like Mandy when he's having that scene with Bill Duke and the way he says, I need to hunt down the Jesus freaks. Like, I'm like, oh, <laughs> there it is. There's Cage. Or like color outer space when he's breaking the dishes for some fucking reason. <laughs> There's the cage I know and love. Oh yeah. I'm just like I have been trying to piece it together in my head. Like, how in the hell can they sequelize face off and have it make sense? He's oh that's yeah. Troy is dead. Like there's no look, look, look. As someone who has sat through various horror franchises. You find a way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. By the third movie, everybody just comes back to life. It's all good. Yeah. We don't question it. We just go, all right. Look, in Halloween 2, I watched Michael Myers get his eyes stabbed and skin burned, and he still came back in full and could see fine. He was burnt yeah. to show, like, oh, yeah, no, we, we're honoring too. He got burnt. But, yeah, he can still see. I mean, he didn't get his eyes stabbed or anything. Didn't he take like a grenade launcher to the chest in one of those movies? It was either him or Jason. See how, yeah, this stuff. No, it was Jason. Jason took a grenade in part nine, the second one to be called the final Friday, I should point out. Yeah. He gets a grenade launcher in like the first 10 minutes to the chest and blows up. Nice. But then comes back Jason. Yeah. Oh, he's back. Yeah. He'll be back. The only thing that can defeat Michael Myers, as we learned, is a swift kick in the ass by Mr. by Buster Rhymes. Like that's the only thing that's going to kick <laughs> Michael Myers. <laughs> God, I hope I write something that be- ends up becoming that ridiculous someday. Oh, looking forward to Face Off too. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, for some reason, there's a Master and Commander prequel in the works, with Patrick Ness tackling the screenplay. No directors or stars yet. I don't know why this has suddenly come back into the spotlight, but they want to prequelize Master and Commander, the far side of the world. What do you guys think? I haven't seen the movie yet, so I don't have a I don't have a say in this race. How about you, Austin? Have you seen it? I fucking love Master and Commander. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, 
a movie that I, I remember seeing like at a young age and I, I didn't quite wrap my head around it, but then you get older and Peter Weir is one of those directors that's like, Oh, I think I'm going to start watching his movies, you know? And uh, I've, I've seen it recently and uh, it's, it's fucking kicks ass. So anything that touches it better be careful, you know? Yeah. It's, I doubt Crow's coming back. I mean, it's a prequel and he does not exactly look like 2002. Russell no. Crow anymore. No. Although unhinged was underrated. I need to see that. I keep hearing he's really good in that. He is like, just, just apologize. Just apologize. She's like, yeah. fuck off. And he's like, ooh. I like him in the nice guys with Ryan Gosling. Fucking A, dude. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's one of his best performances ever, man. Yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, I, I love Crow. Uh, I got to see Master and Commander. I'm kind of just waiting for Oscar Sunday to pull me there. I know it's going to at some point. Your boy, your boy Paul Bettany is amazing in that movie. Yeah. What I've heard. Yeah, another guy who in, in no way is <laughs> for, this, for this movie. <laughs> They've... They've gone on to bigger and better things. Uh, yeah, yeah. I can't imagine the fan base for Master and Commander has been clamoring for a for another one. It's not that kind of movie. No, I don't know. Do you think this is? Do you think it's even going to happen? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I I just I, I just hope they're careful, you know, be, and be careful not to not to mess with just kind of. Yeah, I, th- I think it's a pretty pristine movie I, I, I experience that I, I don't i don't really forget so yeah just touching that is always difficult same way i feel about anything taking on something that's this massive this epic you know you just gotta be careful yeah i think this is going to end up in you know the ether with that gladiator sequel that was going to have maximus's soul fighting various mm. throughout history and ending <laughs> in fucking nom <laughs> so yeah i don't think this is going to uh, I hope not. Like how you're saying about Massacre, that's how I feel about Gladiator. I love Gladiator. Great mm. movie. I am not clamoring for a damn sequel. Right? Yeah. Uh, no, definitely anything. not. I feel the exact same way about, about that one. Another another early 2000s epic that just let's leave it be. Yep. Yeah. Now some interesting casting. Uh, Ryan Kiera Armstrong has been cast as pyrokinetic child Charlie Bradbury in the upcoming remake of Stephen King's Firestarter. She joins Zac Efron, Gloria Rubin, and Michael Grayeyes for what is sure to be a step up from the 1984 bomb, which I actually kind of like. Um, I was a Firestarter was one of his underrated stories. Uh, epic book. Uh, the movie was interesting. Uh, don't like George C. Scott as a Native American. That's hard to hard to swallow. But other yeah. than that, decent adaptation, I thought. Try not yeah, to love, laugh at that. But. Yeah. I love George C. Love George C. Scott, but goddamn. Hi. <laughs> at okay. least he, you know, he, he does have one of the best horror performances, in my opinion, ever in Exorcist 3. So we can we can forgive him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He is he he kills an Exorcist 3 at least. Yeah. God damn. Uh I'm not I actually have not read that particular Stephen King book, uh Firestar, nor have I seen the movie, obviously, because of it. Um, I know Blumhouse is in charge of this particular one. Um, that gives me hopes. Like I said, I know I mentioned on a couple episodes back, like the two sides of Blumhouse. There's the one that gives me fucking Fantasy Island, <laughs> but then there's like the one that gives me Halloween 2018, The Invisible Man, um, upgrade, and hopefully what will be this. Like, if anyone is going to ha- dip their hands in Stephen King, which I don't think they have yet. Yeah, yeah. 
yeah, thank God it's Blumhouse. Like, I'll definitely, I have all the hope that they'll do really good on this. I think so. You know, like Firestarter is a lot more sci-fi than horror. You know, it's about just experimentation and a secret government organization and a Native American assassin who is terrifying in the book and is, you know, pudgy George C. Scott with a black braid in 1984. Well, you know, based off my viewing of Yellowstone, there's plenty of Native American actress they can find. Yeah, and right? they cast one. They, they, they did cast one. So thankfully they are doing this the right way. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Firestarter is going to be cool. Um, Christina Ricci has joined the cast of The Matrix 4, set for release this December. She's joining returning cast members Keanu Reeves, Carrie Ann Moss, Jada Pinkett Smith, and Lambert Wilson, as well as newcomers Jessica Hennick, Neil Patrick Harris, and Yaya Abdul-Mateen II, among others. I have very mixed feelings about The Matrix 4. I, I want it to be good. I don't think we need a fourth Matrix movie. I think this is going to be a very obvious cash grab, but I'm also curious. I I'm with you. I feel the same way. I only honestly like the first movie. I think the sequels try way too hard. Yeah. Um, I, I was honestly, the only time I was excited for this movie was before COVID hit strong was when this movie and John Wick 4 had the same exact release date. Because yeah. in my head, I went, holy shit, double the Keanu in one mm-hmm. weekend? Fuck yeah, I'll be there. <laughs> and obviously COVID ruined that weekend before it could ever happen. So now it's like, eh, I'll just wait for John Wick for you on you. It's fine. <laughs> that weekend was like two weeks ago. <laughs> Damn it. How sad is that? Oh. Yeah, that would have been cool. Ted versus yeah. Ted. I don't think the box office could handle it. <laughs> if so, I, I, a couple of family members asked me this question. Like if it was, you know, if it had been that day and you had enough, you know, enough money to see one movie would you see john wick four first or would you see the matrix four first john wick yeah john wick yeah no doubt no doubt john wick is uh still in its prime Uh, all three movies are so good and matrix is trying to like revamp something from 22 years ago now so (laughs) uh not happening i'm with you guys I, i i you know the first one is like you know a, a holy like it's like holy ground and it's definitely a 10 in my opinion sort of movie so yeah this the second two trying too hard this fourth one you got to think in 2021 it's also going to be trying probably a little too hard yep yeah all the other the Rakowskis are so attached to it right one of them is only one yeah only one they're not partnering up on this one that already kind of, I don't know. And that's another thing, too, is that if I'm being honest, like for me personally, ever since The Matrix was over with uh, those two, not a big fan of any of their post Matrix work. Yeah. Cloud Atlas was too much for me. I, I know this is ardent. There are fucking ardent defenders of that movie. I am not one of them. <laughs> um, that was pretty good. It's all right. Yeah, I, I'm with awesome. That was all right. Um, Speed Racer, we don't. but yeah i haven't really been a fan of anything they've done since then so i don't know how much one of them can bring to a fourth matrix i don't even really want i think if they were going to really you know mess with the formula surprise people there's no way in hell they do this because 
the studio would be like, what? But um, if I would follow a, a new set of characters and I would have the agents take on the likeness of Neo and Trinity. That could be interesting. Nope. Keanu yep. would not be playing Neo. He'd be playing an agent who looks like Neo. Mm. Okay. That'd, yeah. that'd be interesting. Because uh, Hugo Weaving, he's not on the cast list, right? He's not. No, he's got play commitments in London, so he said no. Yeah, fair enough. Good good for you, Hugo. Yeah. There's one person who does not like reprising performances unless it's Elrond. It's Hugo Weaving. Like, he does not, he doesn't go, he doesn't come back. Uh Unless there's dollar signs match up. Yeah, it's almost like he's stepping aside for his niece. Just let Samara Reaving do all the heavy lifting now well, in America. In, in, in Lord of the Rings, as Elrond, they, they filmed that all in one go. So he was able to kind of operate with almost like it was one movie. You know, they got to do it as like one project. So he well, probably saw the, it as... I meant The Hobbit. Oh, that, oh there you go. Oh, yeah. see, I just forget about those because they're not very good. Oh, he was in The Hobbit. Oh, God damn it. Yeah, yeah. he came back for that. He didn't come back. A, 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 he just did one Red Skull, huh? Yeah, they got Ross Marquand for yeah. City War because he does a really good Hugo Weaving impression. Like, uh. To his credit, Ross Marquand can do really good celebrity impressions. He was great, and I want to see more Red Skull. And I, you know, it's not like he's got anything going on. Walking Dead's yeah. almost over. Oh, thank God. As a Walking Dead fan, thank God. <laughs> uh, speaking of John Wick 4. Actor and martial artist Donnie Yen has joined the cast of John Wick 4. Uh, Keanu is obviously set to return. No one else has been confirmed yet, but come on. The film is set for release on May 27, 2022. And I'm just, I'm already imagining the badass fight scene they have planned for Donnie Yen and Keanu Reeves. Yep. Oh, it's, I forget what episode. It's just like when we were talking about the John Wick, oh, the raid, and you know how they got the guys from the raid to be in John Wick 3. That's kind of like that, because you know you can tell those Wick movies are inspired by foreign martial arts films heavily. Oh, so yeah, if it's someone like Donnie Yen, like Ip Man himself, like goddamn hell yeah, perfect. <laughs> that's gonna be cool. And I heard you know the Continental series is ramping up uh, early production, and that's gonna follow a young Winston establishing the Continental across the world. That sounds fucking great. Nuts. You. Who here would have thought when you were watching that first fucking John Wick that we'd be talking about a fourth and fifth film on the way in a goddamn TV series based off the Continental? <laughs> I, I'm glad it worked. I'm really glad it worked. John Wick has become one of my favorite movies, and it's just such a fun, rewatchable action thriller and so simple but so effective. And I'm happy that's what you know got Keanu out of the doldrums. Yeah, because I I remember when it came out and I was watching the trailers from I was like, okay, Nerd County Reeves like like this was fresh off me watching 47 Ronin. I was like, okay, nope, you fooled me once, Keanu. Ain't doing it again. Yeah. And uh my mom was actually the one that won six. She's a humongous crush on the man. And uh I was like, okay, fine, let's go watch it. And we're watching, and now somehow I was the least excited. I was like, <laughs> all right, let's just sit through this fucking Kanye Reeves movie. Immediately I was like, okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh. Okay, movie. <laughs> it was I, yeah, I walked out like holy shit, did we just watch an amazing Kanye Reeves movie? <laughs> yeah, it was it was hard to believe. I'll admit myself. I, I after seeing the first one, I, I couldn't I couldn't really swallow the fact that I had witnessed Keanu kind of finding his own 
his own craft again. Uh, I didn't think it was possible, especially after movies like The Day the Earth Stood Still. It was like, there's no way, there's no way he's going to be able to do what he did back, you know, in the 90s. And sure enough, sure enough, you know, and, and John Wick is, to me, right there. I, I'm sure with you guys as well. We all love it. Uh, it's right there with Speed and Matrix. Like, it's one of his best performances and movies uh, of, of his whole resume. I'd argue that, honestly, if you're talking, like, performance, it is his best performance. In Probably, life. yeah. I agree. I think it's his best one. He just, it's not so unbeatable. We're just going like, whoa. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. He's actually trying and it's nice. Like, it, is, it is nice. Unlike Neo, there. like John Wick does not have to tell people he knows Kung Fu. Everyone just mm. knows. <laughs> people see it for him. I mean, and even like that whole chair scene when he's talking about like people keep asking if I'm back. And yeah, I'm sorry. To this day, I still get goosebumps watching that scene. Yeah, yeah, me too, me too. Oh, and yeah, the the cameos that are there, like we were talking about, characters from the raid. There's there's little things in these movies that they're just kind of feeding all the movie fans, you know, just kind of feeding you over and over, rewarding you for watching these movies, and that's beautiful. The in John Wick two, the shit between him and Common when they're just kind of with the silent, you know, the silencers just pop, 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 pop. It's fucking gnarly it's a crazy and common like what is he doing <laughs> but it works it, it fucking works those decisions all pan out for them all that yeah. implied uh history you know knowing each other's drink like i love Dude. All that, <laughs> knowing that they, these two hate each other in a with a in a special way yeah <laughs> they don't have to tell us what it is we just know that's, all you get smart. is like that all you get is that scene when they pass each other and he's like john are you working tonight <laughs> yeah. like that's it that's all the line dialogue you get <laughs> it's fucking beautiful I like how when they finally have you give you the satisfaction of seeing him killing two people with a pencil yeah, yeah. oh was... man <laughs> I, yeah. my favorite thing about John Wick 2 though hands down is the opening when you've got Peter Stormare oh, so in, good. Like, yeah. in the office just hearing the carnage and just like this look of fear in his eyes like when is it going to end? Like, so great that they got him to play, you know, Vigo's brother. That was that was a great connector there. And, oh, yeah, I love the the, uh, the the talent they can get for this. I mean, already for the first movie, you had Michael Nickvist. You had uh, Alfie Allen, Ian McShane, the fucking Bottles guy from the Warriors. <laughs> <laughs> but then Man. it just kept... Yeah, it just kept growing in two and three, and I Donnie Yen's is going to be the first of many for four. I'm I, I'm so psyched. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, I got real excited seeing. I was like, oh shit! First we got the raid guys for three, yes, and now we got Donnie Yen. I'm like, who else can you get? Hmm? Exactly. Yeah. Goddamn. Um, Lovecraft Country's Jonathan Majors is in talks to play the villain in Michael B. Jordan's Creed Three. Uh, Majors is already set to play Marvel villain Kang the Conqueror in the upcoming Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. So his stock is rising incredibly fast already, you know, villain oh, yeah. MCU and the Rocky franchise. So bring it on. I got to watch this show. Dude, um, you know what? You need, to, you need to see him in Last Black Man in San Francisco. That is a life-changing kind of performance from him. Crazy, crazy good. I couldn't believe he wasn't up for best supporting actor that year, like at all the all the awards. He was just so goddamn good. Uh, that's a stunning, stunning movie. He, yeah, he's he's coming. He's going to be a guy that people 
will know his name very quickly. Okay. Yeah, I need to I need to check out uh Lovecraft Country too. It's on like my little list I made of things I need to catch up on. Yeah. Um I know Connor's about it, but I've made a list because of my 11 month damn deployment of things I need to catch up on shows specifically. And that's actually one of the ones on there because you know drawing pills was attached to produce it. So I was like, oh fuck yeah, I love drawing pill right now. Um, so I need to check that out, see how he is in that. So I have a good idea of going to what sounds like he's going. I know he's in talks. It sounds like they're like making real hard and getting him for Creed three. So, well, you know, I think you know an actor fresh off of a hit TV show suddenly offered the the villain role in a Rocky movie. You're not going to say no to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's a, it says on IMDb that it's like it's announced. So I think. And it's it's on his it's under his credits. So I, I think if they put it there, we're gonna we're gonna be seeing him and Michael B. Yeah, I think the way I, I think the ahead. way I read it on IGN was like they like Michael B. Jordan wanted him. Like he was specified. So cool. Yeah, it was like no, I want him to play the villain. So it's like apparently they were banking hard on getting him into this movie. Wait. Now, this is going to sound like a, like a sarcastic question, a dumb question. I don't care. I need to ask it because of the Creed franchise's track record. What are the odds that he's playing Mr. T's son? Oh, the odds are very high. Yeah. Bubba Lang's think, kid. I, yeah, I wouldn't be, wouldn't be surprised at all. Um, yeah, I, I think if they asked Michael B., hey, who do you think could play? He's like, well, I, I like this. I like this young guy, Jonathan Majors. I mean, he's Majors is born in 1989. This is a guy who's kind of like, you know, in his prime. And I think could definitely pull it off. Well, he's playing the next Thanos for Marvel. So, yeah, I'd say this guy's about to be a household name. Kang the Conqueror. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Looks like uh, I'll be watching me Lovecraft Country very soon. Probably after Jelling Adventures of Sabrina. I got to watch that final season still. Yeah. I'll uh, I'll probably fast track Lovecraft Country. I'd like to know what this guy's all about before I, you know, see him in action as Kang the Conqueror and Clubber Junior. I figured I got time because both films probably aren't coming out. Well, Ant Man is confirmed twenty twenty three, I believe. Yeah, and I doubt Creed three is coming out soon, so I got time. <laughs> yeah, but I know me. If I don't watch it now, I'm never gonna watch it. Yeah, yeah. I'm I, TV. Uh, just hard for me to uh, wrap my head ar- wrap my head around. With with him, I just know Last Black Man in San Francisco, Hostels, and Defy Bloods. He's fucking great in all of those. Uh, speaking of Marvel, uh, Issa Rae has joined the voice cast of Spider Man into the Spider Verse Two, where she'll be playing Jessica Drew, aka Spider Woman. The film is Hell set yeah. for the 7th, 2022. I'm very much looking forward to this. Into the Spider-Verse was a badass original superhero film. Uh, and I'm excited to see what they can do with the sequel. Yeah. yeah. Big, big fan of Into the Spider-Verse. Cannot wait for this sequel. It's currently the only thing Sony's doing with the Spider-Man film. This is shit they want to do that I really actually love. Do you hear about that Sony exec who said, like, after No Way Home comes out, like, their plan will be revealed? Fairly certain he uh, wasn't supposed to say that. Yeah, but how many times has DC been like, and now this is what we're doing, and it's not what they're doing? Yeah, but this is this is Disney and Sony. Like, who 
who's calling the shots here? Let's be honest, you know? I feel like Disney calls the shots, but Sony is like that kid that just doesn't want to give up any kind of power. So they're trying to constantly, like, out... Uh, you know the whole thing, like, put your, your fucking dick on the table? They're trying to be the bigger man on that table than Disney. They're like, well, this is what we're doing. And Disney's like, we don't give a shit. We have, like, the fucking second highest grossing film of all time. So go fuck yourself. It reminds me of The Godfather 2. What, like, Disney, it, it, like, Disney is Michael Corleone. Sony is Fredo. And he's just like, you know... So it should have been me. I was passed over. Like I can, I can do things. I know things. Like it's just that's Fredo. <laughs> Disney's you know, Michael's like, I know that, but I'm in charge. I'm the boss. You got to respect that, or you're gonna get shot in a fishing boat. You ever think like Disney's just like, remember what happened to 20th Century Fox? We'll find a way if you keep this shit up, buddy. <laughs> this. That's all Disney's doing. All Disney's doing is bite, biding their time just to buy you up, just suck you in, absorb you. They 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 know what they're doing. I feel yeah. like while Disney's focusing all of its energies on like belittling Sony and just trying to like push them into submission, they're going to be completely ignoring the giant Amazon bubble that is just pulsating over here and is just waiting to just fucking eat Disney. <laughs> it could happen. It could happen. That's what they want for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Maximum power for Amazon. Yeah. You imagine a company becoming so powerful they can buy Disney. That's terrifying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh God. Um, so finally, following the success of both of last week's films, sequels have been greenlit for both A Quiet Place 2 and Cruella. A Quiet, Place, a Quiet Place Part 3 is expected in March 2023, while Corella 2 is expected around the same time. Jeff Nichols is replacing John Krasinski as director for Quiet Place 3, and Craig Gillespie is staying on to do Corella 2. Kind of expected Quiet Place 3, a little surprised at Corella 2, but then again, it is Disney. Uh, thoughts? Uh, in the case of Corella, I shared a lot of my thoughts about how you know, for me personally, the changing up of a lot of the more harsher elements of the villain. Not for me. Again, I understand for those of you who have kids, obviously you don't want your kid to see someone that just willingly kills Dalmatians, even though Dalmatians are assholes. Um, <laughs> asshole dogs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah asshole dogs. Uh, um, I wasn't expecting a Cruella 2. Like, I thought where they ended it was just fine. But, hey, fuck it. We'll see what they do with 2. And as long as Emma Stone brings it like she did in the first film, I'm, I'll be fine. Um, as far as A Quiet Place, that one's weird because you got the whole thing with Krasinski and Blunt and, of all people, Michael Bay, suing or in fights with Universal because of the whole theatrical release window. Like, they're not aware of what the fuck's going on in the ward. Um and uh, this is not really the third film. It's like a spinoff and that Krasinski has an ideal for the third film, might be talking with Universal again. Things might have gotten better finally. Like, it's so fucking strange because of the behind-the-scenes stuff going on with that right now. Why is Michael Bay there? Like, is he a producer on this thing? Yes. I didn't know that. Believe Wait, it or not. like the first movie so much. No, believe it or not, this is the thing. Michael Bay, the guy who has given us such 
cinema classics as Transformers and Pain and Gain and Rock. (laughs) (laughs) Great lines like winners go home and fuck the prom queen also produces (laughs) scary movies. It's not direct them, thank God. I don't want (laughs) directed for what Michael Bay looks like. Just produces them, and this was one of the films that, yeah, he uh, produced both Quiet Places. That's, well, fuck. (laughs) I don't feel bad for the lawsuit, frankly. You know, oh, no, millionaire actors aren't going to make more millions. Boo-hoo. I don't care. I just want the movie to be good. It The whole thing with, like, what's going on with that, right? And then I know no one, you know, had his big issue with getting tenant release and how he was acting in the whole HBO Max still. And I'm like, I understand that for you guys, this is an art form. Movies are an art form, and I completely understand that. You're an artist making art. I get it. At the same time, on the business side, these studios are giving you large amounts of money that they need to make back. How do you think they make it back? Us. (laughs) So it makes sense, you assholes. (laughs) They're trying to figure out ways to get the movies to the people so they can get that money back. Stop being a dick. You you have your millions. You're going to keep getting it. They're just trying to get these movies that, that they had to push back anyway for a year out to the masses so that they can get out there finally and things aren't constantly getting pushed back. Well, here's hoping the sequels work out. You know, I think sequels really are kind of a coin flip, especially these days. Some of them, you know, like John Wick, for example, are made with care and a lot of them, you know, are made for the, for the dollar and not a lot of effort is really put into making a good film. Uh, right. Look, I'm, I'm used to, uh, I've seen so many franchises as a horror fan that I just, at this point, I'm along for the ride and hope for the best. Well, and you know, Corella 2 is basically just going to be 101 Dalmatians anyway. <laughs> just Yeah, so they're going to do basically why I hated the live action reimaginings. It's just going to be an exact fucking story that I've already seen in a much better animated film. <laughs> well, we will certainly see. Uh, so before we get into The Conjuring 3, let's take a look at what really happened. The real-life murder trial of Arnie Johnson, the subject of the film. And if you listened to our uh, filmgasm last week on The Conjuring 2, you'll recognize we did this exact thing with the Enfield haunting, because there's a lot of holes in these stories, and uh, they really do stretch the concept of based on a true story as far as they can stretch it. At least in this case. The Warrens were actively involved, unlike the second film, yeah. where the Brits told them to fuck off and whatever British slang they have for that after just one day. True, but in this case, unlike Enfield, the Warrens actually were sued. <laughs> so let's get into this little, little thing here. Uh, so Arnie Cheyenne Johnson. Uh, this is this is what happened in February 1981. Arn, Arnie Johnson, 19 years old, stabbed his landlord to death with a five-inch pocket knife. It wasn't the dude who ran the kennel. It was, you know, there was no stereo and thing. I don't know why all that was there. It was his landlord who he just stabbed to death repeatedly. Uh, oh, it did happen outside of a dog kennel. Never mind. 
um, in Brookfield, Connecticut. The only witnesses to the crime were Johnson's two younger sisters and his girlfriend. Johnson was arrested for first-degree murder but pled not guilty in court, though Johnson himself never actually said he was possessed. You're like, that's a big one. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> only that he didn't remember the stabbing, but his attorney posed the legal defense that he had been possessed by a demon at the time of the killing. He said uh, he didn't remember the stabbing? Yeah. I have a whole book from the last podcast on the left, guys, of serial killers that would talk about how they never remembered what the fuck they did. Magically, the murders get hazy for these people. <laughs> yeah, there's a pattern. I wonder if all of them were possessed by demons. Uh, he made headlines as the first defendant to blame the devil for his crimes, at least publicly. I doubt that was the first time. Uh, and this was at a time, you know, The Exorcist had come out in 1973. The Satanic Panic was getting a little ramped up. People were, you know, a little freaked out about the devil. And now all of a sudden in Connecticut court, this dude's like, I didn't do it. The devil made me do it. And they're like, ooh. Uh, so where did this come from? The idea that Arnie Johnson was possessed by the devil. Well, Deborah Glatzel, his girlfriend, claimed that Johnson had participated in the exorcism of her younger brother, David. This claim was backed up by Ed and Lorraine Warren who were contacted by the Glatzels to assist in an exorcism for David, who they said was speaking in tongues, convulsing, just being really devilly. Uh, the church denied performing an, a, quote, formal exorcism, which makes me think the Warrens kind of egged this family on a little bit, probably. You know, you got a little kid who's acting out, you call the parent, parent uh, demonologist, and they're like, it's the devil. I mean, that's what I think happened. <laughs> Eight-year-old's not a perfect child. Devil. <laughs> Basically, if you are already, you know, a hyper-Catholic family and your kid starts acting weird and somebody suggests he's possessed, that's not a crazy leap. This is true. God, I would have been a fucking treasure trove for those people. My horror and heavy metal love. <laughs> if y'all if had contacted the Warrens about your haunted house, you could have been the fourth Conjuring movie. They're really good. I don't know if you know this, guys, but Caleb, you know, used to live in a haunted house. Oh, yeah, that is true. They, oh, I should have contacted those assholes. He <laughs> could, could have been in the case files. Conjuring 4. I do love horror movies. <laughs> I feel like the uh, ones were just walked in my room and like, okay, we're just going to leave this room alone. <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy! Oh man! Yeah, yeah. That's that's uh that's it. Was that in Texas? Yeah. Uh, you guys know where, you know where Blanco's at? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I grew up in Blanco. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's that's definitely up that alley too, right? It's like uh, random house in Texas where you guys just kind of like oh, I'm just gonna look the other way. <laughs> <laughs> oh this, man, this is hilarious. All right, so this is an excerpt from the Times article regarding Deborah Glatzel's testimony. This is all from an article on the on decider.com, by the way. Um, okay. This is her testimony. Miss Glatzel, who had watched The Exorcist on television with the rest of her family, and who had attended at least one of the Warrens' lectures before her brother began to claim his daily and nightly visions of the devil, a presence they all refer to as the master or the beast, says that her brother told her the day after Mr. Bono's death that he had had a vision. So all of this happened 
after the fact, after the family had watched The Exorcist, after they'd already seen the Warrens talk about the devil. Um, I mean, come on. I think this was a kid who got really freaked out in a family who just made it worse. Yeah, definitely. Because, uh, boy, the amount of times I could have caught after watching a horror movie as a kid, like especially after Chucky traumatized my ass at like five, I'm fine now. Don't worry. But <laughs> five, different story. Well, I remember, you know, when we did Hereditary on the Filmgasm podcast, after I was done watching that, I was seeing shapes. I was seeing shadows. I felt uneasy. Does that mean Payman was going to stomp down my door and you know, turn me into a fucking altar? No. It's not- yeah, yeah. This is well. This this is the this is the game that that James Wan is willing to play, right? With the Warrens and using them over and over for these movies. Is do you even believe this stuff can even happen? Do you care? I, to me, they're just good movies, right? They're just entertaining, fun movies. Looking into it like that is is. is quite dangerous uh, even and sometimes that's the fun part of these horror movies is like looking into this stuff but the warrens you know they're i i know i know you know people kind of you're supposed to kind of stand in one camp or the other with them i i don't really i can't really say what all they did was total bullshit or any of it was true i think there's a lot of gray right i think it's a lot of like you said connor i think a lot of just kind of stretching and maybe making worse and poking uh, which makes great for horror, for horror movies, for the genre. It's, it's perfect. I agree, but, and there's nothing wrong with, you know, stretching the truth of, a, of an allegedly true story. But when you throw based on a true story onto your film and act yeah. like this happened, then I think, you know, you're being a little dishonest. I mean, That's fair. That's fair. And I think, I, think, I think I'm thinking from our perspective as three people who, just, who, who watch a lot of movies is, we go into it with a realistic mind, right? Of, okay, there's some stuff. And that's my main problem with this movie in particular is I think Conjuring, specifically the first one, I think really like stays grounded for the most part, really hones in on its craft yeah, and, and, and tries to new, use like kind of organic and natural scares. And this one, this one is like a feast. It's like a, it's like it chapter two, where it's like, let's throw as many things as we can at them. And it's just a feast. And I, I I'm not really about that. I like when they, the movie takes its time, you know, to kind of, to kind of unease you. Uh, so that's that's my main issue with this one is is that they, the first one, it made me think. It really made me think. Man, does this shit really happen? You know. Yeah. Uh, and you know, you, uh, Connor, I've shared with you that was in 2013, right? The first Conjuring. Mm-hmm. Uh, the year before that, I had moved to Romania to be a missionary. You know, I, I was a Bible believing you know, Christian who wanted to go share, share the name of Jesus around to people. So this movie, when it came out and I saw in theaters, the first conjuring really, really fucked me up. You know, it really stirred me. It made me think a lot. This one was more almost comical at times. It's like, Oh, really? Oh, really? That really like another jump scare. Uh, And that, that was my main issue is with it was that it didn't really make me think about whether it was true or not. It was just kind of like, oh, this is a little bit hoaxy. Yeah. Definitely. I think uh, kind of hitting on that, like based on true story that we were talking about, you know, like I go, like you said, I go into these movies knowing that, like you were saying, all of us go into these movies when it says that based on true story, 
Okay, yeah, yeah. it's yeah. true, right? I've seen oh. Fargo, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, like, it never really bugs me when they take these. It's fun to look at. You know, it doesn't bug me when they take these liberties. Um, and also, like, especially horror loves to do it. I mean, I'm sure you guys have been with too. The amount of Texans that, for some reason, truly believe what they watched in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is exactly the true story of the movie. Someone's like, no. That was just a ploy to get people like that much more freaked out when they watched it. So it's like, you know, like it can be used and it's been used a lot in horror. I'm used to it. Um, anytime it says based on, I'm always like, you mean inspired, right? It's inspired by a true story. It's not going to be the actual story. Yeah. Um, the actual story is maybe 20 minutes long at that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I do agree in that, like, you know, at least with the first two, the story was grounded enough. There was enough character development and scares to keep me invested, keep me hooked. Regardless of how the actual events went down, what do you think about the ones, all that stuff, I could enjoy. This one was, to me, just missing a lot of elements that made me like the first two. Yeah, yeah. When when you look into these stories, when you look into, like, the actual events, the movies leave out anything that potentially could make, you know, point towards a hoax. Mm. Like, it... And I get that they're supposed to be, you know, a horror franchise. They're supposed to scare you. But you're dealing with real people here. And I feel like in some cases, you, you should remind audiences that this might be bullshit and probably is. Yeah. I, I wish that because, I you know, I look at, you know, like Enfield, for example, the Warrens were there for like a day and told to fuck off because they were making it worse. I mean, I want to see that. I think that would me be too. Me too, man. And Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga are so good at playing these characters that I want to see them get challenged like that, you know, get thrown into a, a really, really like tough real life situation. Cause yeah, it, I mean, it felt like they, it felt like they were giving it their all in this one. In the third one, they're really trying cause they just, they're, there's no one else that could play these two at this point. But but you could tell they're kind of like all right what what exactly is the end game here <laughs> and and what are we doing because the first two man I I can't say enough about those yeah I agree and I do think a, a big part of that is a you know a shift in leadership you got a guy who's yeah. incredibly inexperienced behind the camera in this movie you know the third of the flagship like why this guy why Michael Ch- like that guy <laughs> fucked it up. I go back to what I back what over a year ago now when I wrote that thing in when you made the comment like you could take over Wes Craven's shoes and I wrote in immediately. If we recall that. Yes, I do. I stand by that comment I made with like in all three major franchises that James Wan has been has made essentially, you know, Saw, Insidious, not you know, conjuring, his touch is felt when he's the one directing in every single one. Oh, yeah. That when he leaves, because he either has another one he's working on, you know, whatever. Like, I think in this case, he has like three or four fucking projects up his sleeve already. So he probably just was too busy. But it's felt you can feel when he's gone. Like, okay, this isn't, there's something missing here. And he has a touch that's very evident. And anytime he's the one behind that director's chair. Yeah, true. I mean, we've. I think the Insidious franchise is probably the best example of that. The first one is so, like, such a perfect ghost movie. Grizzly, yeah. Two is okay, and then just, I didn't like three, and I heard four was terrible. 
So <laughs> what's funny is that Lay would now directed three, and yet he would go on to do fucking awesome with upgrade and uh invisible. Yeah. Man. Well, he also had, you know, I feel like he and James Wan were kind of like reinforcing each other in their careers. So Lee Winnell, you know, it was kind of a natural evolution from screenwriter to, you know, director to good director. <laughs> Took a while, but, you know, here one, he is. <laughs> one could argue if he keeps this up, he might beat James Wan for me. I love his style. Between those two films, love his fucking style. How great would it have been if he fucking helmed The Conjuring 3? Like, I would have given Oh, man. Like, how, why didn't that, was that even discussed? Oh, don't even, <laughs> don't even tease us. Yeah, it may have been, but isn't he doing another universal monster? Yeah, but not right now. It's not for a few years. Oh, yeah, true. This movie, like, was supposed to come out last year. Like, this, this was filmed a while ago. Damn it. Actually, he hasn't been involved with The Conjuring at all. No, he hasn't. Like, he's, you know, he's, I think him and Juan, you know, were kind of together with Insidious, but he hasn't really stepped into The Conjuring, hasn't done any Annabelles, no nuns, no La Lloronas, nothing. Oh, no, I just not really, I was like, oh, yeah, they haven't really done anything together on this franchise. This, this could have been, this could have been it. <laughs> so, back to Arnie Johnson. A superior court judge dismissed his demonic possession legal defense on the grounds that it could not be proven. I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall during that sentencing. Just like, uh, no, fuck off. (laughs) Um, He was convicted of first degree manslaughter, given 10 to 20. He served almost five years, was released early on good behavior. While in prison, his, his story was made into a TV movie. He got married, received a high school degree. He's still married to uh, Debbie Glatzel. And he's never, you know, relapsed, never killed anybody else that we know of. So was it a momentary, like, you know, anger over the rent? Or did the devil step in, make him kill this one guy, and then just leave? I don't, I don't know. I think maybe he was just super pissed, killed the guy, and was like, oh, fuck, I killed this guy. That's wrong. Yeah. 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 I don't, I don't think there was any devil with this one. Uh. So that's basically the movie. What we don't see is that um, David Glatzel's older brother, Carl, later sued Lorraine Warren in 2006, saying that the demonic possession of his brother was a hoax created by Warren and her husband. Uh, He's 55. He spoke to a local Connecticut newspaper, said that the hoax of his brother's demonic possession eventually drove him out of Connecticut. He said, quote, it was like a living hell. That's why I moved out of Connecticut. I never did believe in the bullshit. He said in 2007 uh, that his younger brother suffered from mental illness as a child and that the Warrens, quote, concocted a phony story about demons in an attempt to get rich and famous at our expense. Ooh, I bet he doesn't like these movies. (laughs) I get the feeling that none of the families involved in any of these three movies like the movies. Wasn't that interesting? All three families have not a lot of positive things to say about the Warrens and their involvement in their case. It's just it's weird. Like, you know, three times it's a pattern. Yeah, it's like at first it's like, well, maybe they're just mad because you know what happens every time a biography comes out, people bitch about portrayal. Yeah. 
And uh, unless you're Shug Knight, no one's going to bitch about that one in Straight Out Compton. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, but in this case, we're on the third movie, and another f- member of the family is bitching. So it's like, okay, maybe, maybe there's something here. Potentially. Um, <laughs> in 2006, uh, the lawsuit resulted, and um, it was ultimately dismissed. But there was a book that was written about the events called The Devil in Connecticut. And after the lawsuit, that book was taken out of print. Uh, it is back in print. Fuck. As of this past week. So Glatzel lost <laughs> in every sense of the word. Then the Warrens became super extra awesome famous with the Conjuring franchise. And the book is back in print. They, yeah, the book company put it back in print because of the movie. Yeah, of course. Oh, boy. Well, you know what? The cover is the movie poster. Uh, <laughs> now in theaters and on yeah. HBO Max. Well, you know, yeah. I think best case scenario, Warren's saved a young boy from demonic possession and helped argue a another young man possessed by demons argued a lesser sentence for him. Best case scenario. Worst case scenario, the Warrens took advantage of a mentally ill child. Uh, I don't know. You know, I don't have the facts. Nobody has all the facts. Nobody will ever know exactly what happened, but it don't look good. No, too bad we didn't have Twitter back then. So we could be tracking every goddamn thing that happened. <laughs> Possessed by Satan, LOL. Yeah. Yeah. Hashtag shitty wednesday the warrens are actually crazy yeah <laughs> this exorcism right now is bullshit i throw back thursday when i was possessed yeah <laughs> hashtag this waterbed is creepy like satan posts a picture of a goat hashtag throwback thursday yeah <laughs> was so cute back then yeah speak <laughs> Speaking of waterbeds, horror has taught me that waterbeds were a terrible idea. Yes, no kidding. I didn't need horror to teach me that. I always thought waterbeds were stupid. Look, I always knew it, but like that whole the whole scene in the movie, which is somewhat ripped straight out of a nightmare on Elm Street. Hold on, wait. Fourth, there you go. Uh yeah, because that had a whole waterbed scene where he like sees the hot naked lady and then it's actually Freddy and you know kills him. Yeah, so waterbeds, horror and waterbed, man, but horror does that. Horror teaches you that anything you experience in life can potentially kill you. The only movie yeah. that made waterbeds look cool was a goofy movie. And uh, Truly, yeah. I was about to say, I think I still kind of like waterbeds because of a goofy movie. Uh, and then in Richard Linklater's Everybody Wants Some from 2016, there's a character who says... Uh, this, this is not why I like waterbeds. It's just funny. He says, uh, who would want to fuck on a waterbed? It's like fucking somebody on top of another person. <laughs> <laughs> great line. Great line. That is a great one. That is. That's definitely been a thought. When I see waterbeds, I'm like, who has sex on those things? Yeah. It looks amazingly well, unstable. Well, and also, in The Conjuring 3, was it even their waterbed? Wasn't it just in the house when they moved in? Yeah, yeah. It was just there. He like That was one of the first things he the, the kid does, yeah. Yeah, if I, look, after this movie, if I move into a house and there's furniture that's still there, I'm burning it. Literally all three movies <laughs> yeah. have that thing happen. The fucking armchair, the entire basement in the first movie. 
it was all just shit that was lying around the house. I'm burning whatever's left. I'm throwing it outside. I'm burning it. Fuck you, demon. <laughs> That's what, you know. You don't hear stories about like haunted apartments. Like that just doesn't happen because they're all no. pretty modern. Let's not jinx it, none. Will we? Rosemary's oh. Baby. Oh yeah, that haunted. That that was Satan. Yeah, there's the that was just hell. Yeah. yeah. That was just a cult trying to bring about the son of the devil, which I'd rather deal with that than ghosts. I'm going to find hard apartment horror films because they exist. They exist. They do exist. I'm just saying it doesn't happen that often. You know, haunted house. There's more room to play with. Like, I think like the Sentinel, isn't that about an apartment? Rear window. So again, not haunted, but yeah, not really horror. I'm just trying to think of the apartment. Uh, what's that? What's that one? Roommate? Isn't there one called Roommate where they're like in a dorm or something? I don't know. Maybe apartment oh, dorm. Right. I don't know. That movie, The Apartment, was just haunted by an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Hey, I'm gonna use your apartment to bang my secretary. Yeah. Cool, Jack Lemon. <laughs> wait, wait. Insidious Chapter Three. Is that an apartment? That was an apartment. Forgettable. Forget. Yeah. That you can say that again. I don't. I couldn't tell you if. Okay. It is though. It counts. You. You'd know better than I would. This is true. <laughs> um. So yeah, that's the story of Arnie Johnson, who murdered a man and pretty much got away with it. Yeah. <sighs> Good behavior, and apparently, is a model citizen of the United States of America. And a movie comes out that shows that he was just an unwitting victim of the devil. Is he still alive, Arnie Johnson? I wonder if he like was at the premiere and he was just thinking the whole time, like <laughs> rotten, like rest in piss, you motherfucker. Like, I don't know. <laughs> but, I'm gonna look it up. Ar- Arnie Johnson, see if he's still. What if he just got mad at the details on the movie? He's like, that's not how it happened. I yeah. stabbed him 26 times, damn it. <laughs> yeah, fuckers. <laughs> Get it right. I didn't say it like that. That guy looks nothing like me. <laughs> I wasn't uh... that sweaty, okay? <laughs> Uh, I cannot find just him now. What the fuck? Arnie it's all Johnson. about it's all this movie stuff. Okay, I all right. Uh, you see it? For some reason a picture of David Berkowitz came up. I don't know what the fuck that. Means. I saw that too. Yeah, what? Probably because the little Sons of Sam documentary. It's probably fresh on people's mind. Did he do it too? Uh, aftermath. Uh, well, you know what? The movie said they're still married, so I assume that means he's still alive. Oh, okay. Yeah. That, yeah. I'll take it. Uh, wild to think that, you know, I wonder how many people since have claimed, you know, I was possessed by the devil. Or just once I would love the devil to appear as a material witness and be like, I had nothing to do with this. <laughs> he just gets fed up one day. He's like, look, stop using me as a defense. All right. I ain't possessing people to kill. He just gets super pissed. Like, God gave you free will for a fucking reason. Stop blaming me for all your problems. He's <laughs> like, I send my minions out to terrorize and scare you. That is it. Fuck off. <laughs> I'm a big fan of Lucifer. So every time I hear of the devil, I just think nightclubs and solving crimes in LA. I think of the supernatural person of uh, the devil. Oh, he, he, was, he was great, but this guy... I think the Lucifer version is better. I would have loved a crossover where they met each other. That would have been really cool. But it's probably better because he's the main character, so he's more consistent. Whereas we only really got 
uh, Lucifer in season five and then sporadically throughout the other 10 seasons. Well, also TV, you know, Fox's Lucifer, infinitely more powerful, like way more powerful, practically a god. Good shit. Anyway, the devil, bad. Um, (laughs) Devil, not good. (laughs) So let's talk about the movie. Uh, The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It, was directed by Michael Chaves, the guy who gave us The Curse of La Llorona, his only other feature-length directing gig. Uh, We talked at length about how we thought that was a bad idea, giving this guy the the reins to one of the biggest horror franchises in history. Uh, Apparently, everybody else did, too. This is getting pretty mixed reviews. Uh, I thought, you know, why not Gary Doberman, the guy who did Annabelle Comes Home? I mean, at least Hmm. he had experience in this universe. He wrote all the Annabelle movies and The Nun, plus both It movies, so he had experience. He knew what scary was. I think he would have been a good choice. I feel like he would have been a good choice. Here's one. He hasn't been with the franchise, but because of how he does his paranormal ghost movies, and I also just watched Sex Season Show on Netflix... Mike Flanagan, probably would have oh. been a very, Ooh, good pick. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good pick. Yeah. He's fresh because I just finished Haunting a Blind Manor, which ended up being awesome. Uh, so he would have been good because he knows how to mix that character development that Juan's really good with into, yeah. into just one seamless thing. True. But he might be box office poison now because to studios, all they're going to see is that Dr. Sleep tanked. Which makes me mad because Doctor Sleep is a fucking movie. It is pretty good, yeah. Yeah, Hollywood, what a town! Hey, uh, <laughs> you know he has a good thing going with Netflix between the Haunting of series and his upcoming show he's doing with them. I forget the name of it, but he has another horror show coming out, so he's fine. True, true. Um, so we got Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga returning as Ed and Lorraine Warren. Over on the Filmgasm podcast, we talked at length about how much we love both of them as performers. So at the risk of repeating, repeating myself, what are some of, your, uh, some of your favorites of these two over the years? Just off the top of your head. Patrick so, and Vera? Oh, yeah. man. Vera, I'll start with Vera first. The Departed, Up in the Air. Both of those are knockout performances. And for, for Patrick, this is, this is my favorite stuff that he's done, you know, because – input into horn how seriously he takes it how how he's not not really not fucking around i really respect that and i think you know him and vera a big part of why this franchise works uh outside of it i think he's really underrated in Watchmen. yeah that's a that's a role i've always respected a lot night owl and fargo i mean fargo season two jesus christ he's he's lights out in that uh yeah no uh yeah i'll just say like Again, starting with Vera, I agree to Departed. She's outstanding in that. I loved her in Orphan. Not enough people talk about Orphan. She nice, yeah. Um, I didn't like the show, so I didn't stick for over five seasons. But what I saw of her in Bates Motel was phenomenal. Yes. She yes. killed it. Um, she's always, I mean, she's always just been awesome. And I love her in this series uh, with Patrick Wilson um, yeah, I agree. I agree. Very underrated in Watchmen. No one talks about it enough in that movie. And then besides that, really, what he's been doing with horror. I mean, with the Insidious franchise, when he did mm. it the first year, I like him a lot. I love him in this. Him and Juan's collaboration together has been awesome. Yeah, I think that Wilson, uh, for me, really uh, wowed me 
in a film that a lot of people don't talk about anymore because it's a very uncomfortable watch, but he wowed me in hard candy. Oh, dude, I knew you were going to say that. (laughs) Yes. uh, Elliot, Elliot page, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's a fucked up movie and you're not really sure who to root for because they're both horrific people in their own way. I mean, he's a pedophile and she is really having a great time torturing him. (laughs) But, um, I thought, you know, Wilson really kind of straddles the line for pretty much the entire movie. And I like that you're not entirely sure if he really is a pedophile or if she got the wrong guy. Until, of course, you are sure. But yeah, I thought his performance as kind of a monster hiding, you know, in the shadows was really good. And he's um, he's a very talented actor who I don't think really gets enough credit. Especially yeah. he's, he, he's very underrated to me. People don't talk about him enough. And he's been one of those that anytime I see him, so just like I was saying about Killian Murphy in a Cry Place Part 2 episode, he's someone yeah. that when I see him in, in something, I'm like, holy shit, Patrick Wilson. Because he, yeah. he just brings it every time. Exactly. Even it, uh, a movie I don't like at all, In the Tall Grass. Oh, yeah. I would have I would have left. I would have stopped watching if it wasn't for him. You know, he he kept me there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's good in that. <laughs> yeah, that movie was, about that. Yeah, that movie was all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, very, very confusing. Uh, have you all seen the founder? You know, he, him and Michael Keaton have a couple of scenes where they kind of go at each other a bit that are really good. I haven't seen the founder yet. I need to watch it now that I know he's in it. And my yeah. skin. A great movie. I, I thought it sounded when I first heard they were making a movie about the founding of McDonald's. I'm like, who the fuck wants to see that? Me. Yeah. <laughs> then you throw in I, Michael Keaton, Nick <laughs> Offerman, John Carroll Lynch, Patrick Wilson, and I'm like, sign me up. Linda Cardellini. Yeah, yeah. That movie's that movie kicks ass. I, I, you, you've said that before about some movies where I'm like, oh, that's my kind of story because it's like a huge, massive American thing that we consume all the time. And then now people all over the world consume. And the fact that they, like you said, got those actors on board. And when I saw John Carroll Lynch and Nick Offerman playing, you know, brothers and partners, business partners, fucking made my day, you know? <laughs> well, and you know, for, for Michael Keaton to play such a despicable thief, like a blatant, he stole their idea, became a millionaire, a billionaire off of it. Yeah, yeah. And the movie doesn't really, you know, shy away from that it's very honest with like yeah he stole it <laughs> straight up i will i can see where you're coming from like why would they make a mcdonald's movie i never try to be like that with biography movies because now that they've announced that what i'm really excited for about the making of the texas chainsaw massacre <laughs> i know me i'm fucking pumped like i'm ready to go to the theater already for it but i know there's someone who is not into it like i am with like the t-shirts and the tattoo and all that shit that's like who the fuck why would you make this movie i'm like for people like me that want to see it. <laughs> and I'm sure with the music biographies, once they start getting into bands that I like, like Tool and Slipknot and Corn, and they start doing those, I'll be excited, but people are going to be like, why would they make a Slipknot one? Well, because they did this for fucking music. I, I get, you know, I get what you're coming from. I try not to judge biopics either, but, you know, it's a natural reflex for me to think, like, it's a movie about McDonald's. It's a movie about Facebook. You know, well, say, I, I I'm not saying it's not natural because I was when they first announced the social network, I was like, really a Facebook movie? But it yeah, ended up being a fucking <laughs> great movie. Yeah, great see, movie. I saw that I saw that trailer and I was fucking jizzing in my pants, you know? Like the so like a movie about the founding of Facebook is like, yeah, I wanna know, I wanna know how that fucking happened. To be fair, I knew nothing about Facebook at the time, I knew nothing about Facebook. 
I just thought it was like, you know, the replacement for MySpace. Uh, yeah, yeah. I barely used it. I had, I hadn't seen pretty much anything from David Fincher or Jesse Eisenberg or Andrew Garfield. So I had no emotional investment in that. And now, you know, when I watched it fairly recently, I'm like, God damn, this is engaging as hell. I get it. Yeah, it's fucking awesome. And it's yeah. going to get weirder and better and weirder as time goes on because Facebook gets weirder and, you know, stranger and larger and more powerful. And so that movie will just age like fine wine because it's the, the company that it's about is just so bizarre. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, yeah, like, I understand that reaction because, yeah, it's like really, but after yeah, being wowed by the social network, I'm sure I'll get wowed when I watch it by the founder. And uh, I guess more recently, like Ford Fiari really riled me. Yes, there um, you go. Yeah, yeah holy that one, shit. That was a good movie. That's like, you know yeah. what? Whatever biography you want to do, bring it on. Okay, if I don't get, <laughs> bring it on. I'll be there. You guys keep wowing me. Fuck it. But I hate when it also, it can go the other way. When you have a very potentially interesting subject and the movie is absolute horseshit. Uh, there was Ask a, Tom Hardy. Ask Tom Hardy, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Have you guys ever seen the film Hyde Park on Hudson? No. The biopic of Franklin D. Roosevelt's affair he had with his second cousin in the midst of World War II. Sounds fascinating. Yeah. Uh, Bill Murray plays FDR. And the film is an absolute... Interesting choice. It's it's horrible. He was so miscast. Yeah, yeah. Uh, It toys with, like, his relationship with King George VI. And it just never does anything. It's so... B- dull and disingenuous and i was really bummed out you know you guys know i'm a huge history buff so i was i was really looking forward to that and yeah so i hate when that shit happens and then and then you get rewarded by films like judas and the black messiah that just yeah they know they know the vision they're they're that they have the entire film and it works the performances work and you're like fuck yeah that was one of the best movies i've seen the past couple of years and that occasionally happens <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, unfortunately, our biopics are winners. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, like any genre. There's good yeah. and bad movies in every genre. Right. No not genre everyone. that's always great. Yeah. You're not always going to get a straight out of Compton. I mean. Yeah, there, yeah, there you go. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm just thankful that, like, throughout human history, there are so many stories just waiting to be told. Mm-hmm. We'll never run out. That's always a good feeling. History's never going to stop. Yeah, and the best the best is you got guys like uh, Robert Eggers who's like, I'm going to take pieces of history and make my own little fiction out of it. And that's even cooler. <laughs> There's so much, uh, you know, kind of like mythos with, uh, around the world of all these different kind of, you know, so much imagination around the world that you can play with. Uh, and I love that we have creators that are willing to do that. It's awesome. Straight up. That's why I keep waiting for my... Uh... My my heavy metal biopics to come out, so stand by. Yeah, they will. They'll be here, man. They'll be here because uh, I think it just takes time. Uh, it's all about when they come back. You know, like what's what's uh, you know, something like Slipknot. I'd I'd say now, like twenty years ago, is when they were probably in their prime, right? So give it a little longer. I think it'd be, it'll be yeah, something that people would be willing to see and talk about. Because then, you know, my kids, your kids, whoever would have no idea who they are unless we have those kind of movies. So. That'd be awesome. Oh, or yeah. if you want to fast track that, just wait till the lead singer dies. You'll get one in three. Or that. Or that. Yeah, that's that's always yeah. That's, that's true. I don't good. want to see I don't want to see Corey Taylor go. I like hell that. no. That would be a big deal, man. Yeah, Corey Taylor, not just that 
uh, Stone Sour, right? I mean, he's got multiple fan groups. So Stone Sour, his solo album that released last year. Like, yeah, I don't want to see him go yet. He's he's still doing shit. I know nothing about Slipknot. That's not my it's not my zone. You know how much I love Slipknot. I know. My my older brother is really into them, so I know a few know a few tracks, but he had uh, the mask with the long nose. Oh yeah, my brother. My brother had one of those masks, so he'd like wear it around the house and try to scare me and shit. And my parents, my parents fucking hated it. <laughs> uh, cool. uh, so yeah, circling back around, we love Patrick Wilson. We love Vera Farmiga. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> um, the founder. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> the rest of this cast, eh, I don't know. Uh, Ruary O'Connor. Rory, what do you think? I don't know. Does it matter? <laughs> oh, apparently O'Connor. not. That's all I'm going to say is O'Connor. I'll take it. <laughs> O'Connor plays Arnie Johnson, the possessed murderer. Um, he played King Henry VIII. Yikes, 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 yikes. The Spanish princess. You ever seen a, pic- a portrait of Henry VIII? He doesn't look like this. No. Have you seen a picture of Arnie Johnson? Doesn't look like this. <laughs> oh my god this looks like a knockoff uh luke he- lucas hedges this guy and he's about he's a poor man's lucas hedges as well as far as talent goes he is part of the reason this movie just didn't like work for me it just I, every time he's on the screen i'm like oh he does not belong in a uh a serious a, a movie that's built on tone he does not belong in it yeah and you know you say he doesn't look like the guy it's really striking when they do the classic, like, let's show the photos at the yeah. actual people. And you see him, and he has a fucking curly-ass hair yeah. on your looks, like, looks like Shia LaBeouf from Even Stevens. What the fuck are we doing? Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm like, yeah, just get Shia LaBeouf. He has curly hair. He's doing good now. Oh, well, is he? Uh, no, no. Well, <laughs> performance-wise, he's doing real good. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Can't say his personal life is improving. When your when your perp looks like Krusty the Clown, you shouldn't be casting, you know, a Lucas Hedges knockoff. I agree, but yeah. he's handsome, and you can't have a, a fairly heroic character who's not handsome. We have yet to break that Hollywood stereotype. Uh, we'll ever yeah. break that Hollywood stereotype. Well, this kid's gonna play Buddy Holly in a biopic yeah. called Clear Lake. It's fucking frightening. Yeah, a role that probably, well, admittedly. Should have gone to Lucas Hedges. <laughs> I'm gonna lie, he does. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy. Um, <laughs> That's just the beginning. There's a, there's others that are pretty bad in this movie too. Yeah. Uh, Sarah Catherine Hook plays Debbie Glatzel. Arnie's ding 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 ding. ding. Uh, Hook has played bit parts in Law and Order, SVU, and Nosferatu, and she's about to be the lead in the upcoming miniseries First Kill. I thought these movies were like successful. Am I am I wrong about that? Like the right? guys has been a big right. Hit. Let's calm down. Law and Order SVU. Are you <laughs> in me right now? <laughs> oh man! But just like, is it so hard to get, you know, good actors in these things? I mean, the fuck. I, I don't. I don't know, and I know you'll get to them, but the only. Outside of the ones, the person I liked in this movie was the kid at the beginning. But that's because someone was like, oh, shit, that was the kid in Haunting of Hill House. I was like, oh, 
That's right. And I loved him in that show. He was like the only other one that I cared about. And he's in the movie for maybe 10 minutes. <laughs> he was good. I, I'm getting a little tired of those, like, you know, giant Coke bottle glasses for kids to show you that it's not the 2010s. It, it worked better in Hill House, I promise. Are those that kid's actual glasses? It might, be. it might be. because He was wearing glasses in that show, too. That's unfortunate. God, that kid needs to see a new optometrist. Get some nice, you know, plastic lenses. That's <laughs> unacceptable. Again, it worked better in Hill House, but that was also a far superior show to watch. Um, so that kid is Julian Hilliard. Mm. A fairly decent actor, you know, playing a possessed child. No easy feat, I would imagine. Uh, he was also one of the twins in WandaVision. <laughs> which is pretty sweet. Oh, yeah i didn't even didn't even think about that i didn't even realize that okay and he was in color out of space so this kid's had a really interesting career already he wasn't co- oh yeah he had that really like almost like tragic moment in the movie even i was like feeling bad for the kid <laughs> i like that movie a lot so. this kid's like what maybe nine ten years old already yeah. knocking it yeah. out of the park good for him yeah. So hopefully, you know, if he doesn't have the the meltdown that seems to happen to a lot of child actors, very bright future to him. Well, I'm hoping that with a lot of the, you know, Harvey Weinstein's of the world finally being revealed and thrown the fuck out of Hollywood, maybe child actors won't have a lot to run from. Yeah, hopefully. Because it, it was getting kind of ridiculous to the point that, like, these poor kids were just having meltdowns for a reason. Like, it's... Once he realized what was going on, how it was like, these, this is why these kids are having meltdowns when they can become adults. Because think about the environment they've been in. Yeah. Oh, my God. Mm. Um, well, hopefully this kid has a bright future ahead of him. I mean, already, you know, he's, he's a part of two huge franchises already. <laughs> <laughs> he's, yeah, he's been attached to a hit Netflix horror show, this, and fucking MCU. So hopefully he, he keeps that going. Not bad. Yeah. <laughs> um. John Noble plays the ex-priest Father Kastner. Oh, boy. Noble is perhaps best known for playing Denethor, steward of Gondor in The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King, or for playing Dr. Walter Bishop on the TV show Fringe. He's a reliable, dedicated character actor who elevates every project he's a part of, and he is sleepwalking his way through this movie. Holy shit. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I don't even know what to say. (laughs) I remember when I saw him, I was like, oh, I like this guy. And then he started playing his part. And I was like, I don't like him in this movie. It's like, God damn it. <laughs> Never it, thought it, I'd hear the steward of Gondor say, I have chicken shit in my hands. Yeah. Yeah, that was supposed to be like the comic relief 30 minutes into the movie. Fuck out of here. And he, uh, this character totally, totally steered me away from like kind of caring about the main plot, right? Yeah, it just it, this is what this is when I revert back to like the first two conjurings that stay kind of honed in and grounded. And this one's the screenplay for this one is like, what? Where are we going now? Now we're at this giant fucking farm and this guy's got tunnels everywhere. This is a whole nother movie, a whole nother movie. And yeah, John Noble, like you said, he's uh, you, you said he's like a reliable character actor until now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
He elevates the movies he's in until he hit this one. <laughs> yeah, I kind of regret say, saying that now. Yeah, maybe I spoke too soon. Yeah, just this one. It's just this one until 2021. <laughs> uh, was, any, was anyone surprised when he turned out to be kind of a bad guy? No. As no. I, like, I remember when he first got introduced and then he disappeared. My first thought was, Oh, they did that thing when they get some really good like character actor that we know. Yep. Deliver exposition and they disappear. So I didn't think about it. But then when like Ed had his like aha moment, I was like, he's involved with this, isn't he? He's fucking the he's either the bad guy or that bitch is related to him somehow. I was like, he's involved. He's fucking involved. It reminded me of those moments in like network TV, like Law and Order, when like they have a big name guest star and you're like, well, no shit, he's the killer. Like what Matt Dillon's in this one? Well, obviously he did it. <laughs> That's what it reminded. Me. Yeah. <laughs> You're gonna throw John Noble into this. Yeah, he's involved. <laughs> As Father Kastner. Yeah, come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ridiculous. Who had chicken shit on his hands? Yeah. They could have just called him, you know, father plot device, because he basically was. Yeah. Uh, that's can we get rid of that tro- that's a trope we don't talk about enough in paranormal movies of recent years hire a really big name character actor like him or Vincent D'Onofrio to basically position <laughs> and then they disappear or they become the villain you mean D'Onofrio got his entire performance through Skype yes like yeah J.K. Simmons in Dark Skies like it's yeah it's a thing you get a guy, you get a big name, you have him film his role in his like apartment with a dark camera, and then just throw it into the movie. And it bugs me too when like something like Sinister, a good movie, you take away that fucking uh that whole Vincent Offer stuff, probably would have been an even better movie. I don't know why they did that. I liked it without that. My biggest gripe with Sinister, would it have been so hard to give that fucking deputy a name? <laughs> You're going to make him the hero of part two? You're still calling him deputy so-and-so? Look, I have a lot of complaints, not with the deputy in the first film, but the second film in general, I fucking hate him too. Yeah, yeah. Major letdown. Well, finally, we have Eugenie Bondurant plays the unnamed occultist. Again, don't bother giving our characters names. Uh, She's our villain. Compared to Bathsheba and Valak, she ain't shit. <laughs> no, I could kick her ass. Yeah, yeah. I thought I thought the actress did a good job. Like I liked her and like what she was doing with it. I just felt like she wasn't given a lot. I felt like it wasn't her fault. It was more like the the script. Yeah, I thought she was trying. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. And 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 another like a, my biggest biggest complaint with this movie is they're kind of like, look, we're the third one, we have this budget, so occasionally we're going to do something a little bit bigger. And with her, they would constantly do these kind of twisted, you know, sideways flashback type things where things are kind of morphing and Vera Farmiga's like, "Whoa, you know, I don't like all of that. All of that is where it starts teetering with, okay, you're not taking this serious enough. Uh, you're not, you're, you're not, you're not, you're not, you're not making me believe what's happening right now on the screen at all. And, and that has a lot to do with, I think this character again, I, I agree. I don't think it's the actress's fault. I think she has a pretty cool look, 
but but yeah, there's some stuff that's like said there that makes no sense. I love that you had issues with like suspension of disbelief in this movie after part two had like the fucking crooked man. And no, like, no, no, it's none. I get it though. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's it, of course all these movies are you again. We go you go into them with a a, a realistic mind of obviously it's gonna be stretched, but those movies kept, creeped me out. They kept yeah. they kept the Exorcist. You know, there's a I've always told you it's I, I think it's a tad like overrated as far as now. Like it's not crazy scary or anything, but there's stuff that's said in the screenplay that makes me believe that that shit's happening. Yeah. It really does. I'm like, oh my god, the doctor. And Ellen Burstyn, they're talking to each other, and I, I believe what they're saying to each other because they're because they're convinced, and that, that's not happening in this one. Yeah, well, it's, it's like you said; those first two, they do a good job. And what I was mentioning, what like you know, when we're talking about second one, of keeping you grounded, giving you characters that you can root for. That when the scares do happen, you're you're in it, like you fill it with the characters and with the story. But yeah, with this one, it's like. I didn't really give too much for shit of the characters outside of Ed and Lorraine Warren. And they were so determined to go bigger and badder with this one because they didn't want to do another Haunted House movie. Yeah. That there wasn't a lot established on, like, how do you achieve that? And even then, most of the scares still took place in some kind of closed location. It wasn't like there were scares happening in the woods except for the whole, like, solving that one murder. Besides that, they were still going to a creepy location that no one else was at in the whole night scary mm. shit was happening at least especially with a big overweight ghost did it bother you guys how easy it was for the warrens to convince pretty much everybody in this film that something something demonic was happening like the lawyer the cop they all just kind of got on board pretty fast oh the cop that that guy that guy loses the movie for me that guy's giving one of the worst performances i've seen in a long time the when, when they're in the room and they're just like, they just, okay, yeah, now all of a sudden I believe you. And Vera Farmiga's like, Let, how about we help each other out? And he's just like, sure, let's go into the woods. I guess you I guess you can talk to the dead. What the fuck kind of cop is that? <laughs> you know, it's a, a, a Sergeant Clay is that character's name. Terrible. He was, he was not good. Uh, it felt like they just were like, oh, let's, let's, yeah, let's throw this kind of a, uh, when you throw into a, a cop character, it gives it kind of a relatability. You're like, oh, this is real life. This is what people do. They talk to the cops about stuff. And it just didn't work. Mm. Well, then the whole thing with the lawyer, like when they just like, <laughs> hey, come to our house, have dinner, we'll show you the room. And because by her being petrified, I'm like, I mean, I know some people in the audience will laugh and I could hear them. But like, I remember just watching going, I don't get it because, like, I'm telling you right now, if I was that lawyer and you just showed me shit in your room and, like, okay, cool, so don't believe you. Like, yeah, they do something that would have terrified me to my core, like it did her for me to go, yeah, yeah. you know what, maybe the devil's and, not with this. And it's not like the Warrens are going to just let Annabelle out to potentially kill this woman just to prove, right? prove a bit, you know? Prove a point. Yeah. yeah. Are you kidding? So can I, can I come over and fuck with Annabelle? Come on. Like, can I can I have some coffee and mess with Annabelle? Like that just doesn't seem right. They literally established in the first film, Ed is interviewing that guy at the beginning of the movie, <laughs> and then quickly gets him out because he's like, "We don't touch anything." Not like they are. Yeah. That this yes. Nothing gets touched. Annabelle comes home, establish how quickly they need to hurry and put that shit back because of how things escalated throughout yeah. the movie. Literally, that whole movie <laughs> happens because they accidentally left Annabelle's little box open. 
yeah. So it's like, how the fuck am I supposed to leave that this one got shook to the core having dinner? Unless Lorraine's cooking is terrible. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> her cooking was so <laughs> horrific, it actually made her believe in the devil. Because someone's like, someone's got to go to hell for this shit. I yeah. buy that. Yeah. You know, the, the confidence from, uh, from Patrick Wilson in that scene when he's like, yeah, you come over for dinner, and if you don't believe us, we'll butt out. <laughs> You'll butt out. Like, all of a sudden, you just don't care. Yeah, <laughs> so stupid. Ter- like, well, terrible, the, believe, the structure. So it's not our fight anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck, Arnie. <laughs> yeah, this kid. Yeah. Settle up, partner. Yeah. Buckle up, buckaroo. Fucking ridiculous, man. <laughs> So, The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It. I don't like the title either. I'm just going to say that. Neither do I. I cannot stand uh, semicolon and then something after. Not a fan of all that. Just a three. Just a three would have been been fine. Yeah, it would have been fine with just Conjuring 3. All right. It's got an IMDb score of 6.6, a Rotten Tomatoes score of 60% and dropping. Um, It did dethrone A Quiet Place 2 at the box office, grossing $57 so far on its $39 million budget. So it's doing okay. It's not doing, you know, normal summer movie season prices. But I don't know if that reflects the pandemic or the quality of the film. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's hard to tell because, again, uh, horror movies so far with this whole post-pandemic beginning, people kind of slowly going back to the theater. Uh, It has been dominating. I mean, Godzilla versus Kong, to an extent, Spiral, um, Quiet Place Part 2, like all of them have been number one when they come out like they've been doing horse has been doing fine so yeah i always will yeah yeah i don't know if it's just like that box office is good because of horror continuing its trend right now or call it i don't know i'm just happy that horror is doing good still in the box office at least until apparently fucking f9 the fast saga comes out it's already well past 250 million worldwide i'm aware that it hasn't hit America and it's already made over its budget. I'm very aware. I think there's some new franchise Viagra in town and his name is John Cena. Oh, Jesus. You can't see me. He's If The Rock is franchise Viagra, John Cena is at least franchise Cialis. <laughs> you think that makes The Rock mad? He's like, I, I revived this the first time. What's going on here? I honestly, I don't think anything can make The Rock mad. I think that dude is living in his own happy little world. He's, you know, a giant motherfucker who could probably, you know, bend a car. I don't think he has any worries at all. No, because I think about it, he didn't badmouth anyone on a, that set like they did him. When he had his little moment with beef with him and Vin Diesel, they all badmouthed him. And he was just like, hey, we just had a thing. I'm going to do my own thing. It's fine. What was The Rock's big demand? Show up on, on set on time. Be professional. Yeah. Egads. How dare he? <laughs> God. How dare the guy who has much more movie under his belt say that about the guy that only has this one saga he's known for because he won't give me more Riddick movies. God damn it. When did do All your right. fucking job become a diva complaint? <laughs> <laughs> Try hard. Yeah. God damn. Uh, anyway, uh, let's talk some highlights. Conjuring three. Just some stuff we noticed, stuff we wanted to bring up. Uh, the use of Blondie's Call Me. What do you think of that? Kind of turning a little demonic when the demon goes after Arnie during the stab scene. What do you think of that? 
it was it was cool but at the same time this whole like slowing down music for horror movies and playing with the original song i'm so tired of it because they do it in trailers all the time you know what was my favorite thing about the first two conjurings was how much it avoided or rebranded horror cliches and then here we are with the third one and it is nothing but Mm. look for for me when it comes to highlights with this film the most i can tell you is the beginning and the end (laughs) like I think they blow their load way early in this movie and then don't regain it to like the end and then it's over. Yeah. That's that's your typical Hollywood producer right there. Um the, uh I thought the opening was was okay. I wasn't that jazz. I was like I've seen better exorcisms, you know. 15 seasons of Supernatural, 5 seasons of Angel. I've I've seen better better exorcisms. I I just don't I just don't know how I'm why I'm supposed to care that early about this kid. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> I don't yeah. Um uh, go like movies like this possession movies are are obviously really hard and really tough to to keep that tone and it's trying this movie's trying to have a, a dark dark tone and it's really trying to mess with, you know, like the the occult and that's 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 really cool and all but like like you said really i think it's well put blowing their load and at the beginning of the movie just kind of here's here's what we got here's our best stuff here's 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 my best directing right here and here's our best special effects already right like right away i get that they didn't want to be formulaic you know the first two movies you meet the family weird shit happens steadily the warrens show up they fix it and credits i get that they didn't want to do that again but the reason that works is because you get to know this family, you get to care about them, mm-hmm. and you feel bad when shit happens, and then you're happy the Warrens are there to fix it. You're along for the ride. With this one, if you're just thrust into the end of the story, you, you don't care. There's no emotional it's stakes so, for you. There's two things this movie tried so hard to do. One, be different than the first two. Two, have a darker tone. I think it succeeded in the darker tone. I think having like the I don't. The occultism and Satanist stuff involved helped a little bit. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying they, it was super dark, but there were definitely like darker moments in, compared to the first two movies. Um, but as far as like being different, I don't think it worked too well because they force, uh, they didn't bother with character, plot, uh, scares. That seemed to take a backseat to we have to be different. Um, I think had um James Wan just stayed on board and directed that probably wouldn't have been the case I feel like they could have had a different Conjuring film that would have worked completely with him on board yeah he did not direct this one I I think you're right on the money there yeah um one did it did it did you find it ironic that the the par- the demonologists who have a room full of dangerous objects they've collected over a lucrative cr- long and lucrative career tell Kastner that he should burn his collection of demonic objects yeah what was that about <laughs> I I, uh, I was watching it with, uh, with Brianna right and we just kind of looked at each other like wait a minute <laughs> aren't you guys demon detectives <laughs> don't you have a like a bigger and much more dangerous room than he does don't you have a whole doll yeah, yeah. <laughs> that has escaped <laughs> multiple <laughs> times 
And then Lorraine, I don't want to go in there. I'm like, what makes this room different from yours in your own home? What could you, what could possibly be new to you? (laughs) All all that's in there is books. And literally that's safer than what you have. Because as long as you don't read the books, you're fine. You even look in that little music box. That fucking Bathsheba is going to kill you. (laughs) You just stare at something in their room and you're doomed. That room, hey, just don't read any of the books you see okay cool yeah won't do it sounds good we never really go into that whole what was it like cult of the ram or something like that like the the cult that castner like fought and it like disillusioned him like where's that story i would have loved to have seen that exactly i think the the ideal for this movie is like it's a good idea like have the ones involved in some kind of occultist, occult, uh, satanic case, especially in that time period, the 80s, when, yeah, like, mm-hmm. satanic was big. I yep. mean, it was to the point that, what is it, like, D. Snyder had to go to court to defend fucking Twisted Sister, for Christ's sakes? Yeah. Like, so, like, it's all there. Everything's there to make a good movie, but for some reason, it was, like, trying to do this occultist stuff with a Conjuring film, and none of it meshed. Mm-hmm. Another thing, we go to the Warrens' house multiple times in this film. Where the hell is their daughter? Okay, that that was some Game of Thrones last season garbage where they're not even explaining how we got anywhere. Yeah, how, and 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 then they would have these these uh, these shots of the prison. Like I'm supposed to fucking care about this prison that Arnie's at? Uh, uh, like like it's Shawshank or something? Get like stop stop acting like this is a whole nother setting and then we're back at the warren's house then we're at their house then we're at this fucking dog pound <laughs> where are we what is the and then we're in tunnels under the ground i i it was like five movies in one uh really frustrating yeah and then like yeah the whole thing with their daughter the amount of things that happened to them at one point when the occult ends, ends up in her home in their home yeah he's worried about his wife obviously i know he's like where's our daughter we have to make sure our da-. i'm like should you worry about your daughters? They were she was in your home. You might want to go check on your fucking daughter, dude. We see her briefly when Ed's in the hospital, and then she just is never seen again. I mean, like you said, and the he, demons in their house. Fucking Debbie is there, but no, no daughter. No daughter. And not only that, you notice when he wakes up, he just keeps saying in the rain. Like never, yeah. never yeah. says like your daughter who's sitting right there. I'm like, did you guys? Did she do something? <laughs> yeah, she let Annabelle out. I don't think they were happy about that when they found out. She's grounded. Yeah. God, that's so lazy. I did Logistics. like the little, yeah. the little nod when they like Lorraine walks in with flowers and like, look what the Perrin family sent. But that was like, ah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Although, I, will, I know we're kind of tearing it apart. Uh, I will say anything <clears throat> when it comes to the performances of Vera Farmiga and Patrick Wilson is fantastic. So. I'll give the movie this much. Like, they are both so wonderful. Um, that little scene when he has, like, they have to go into the cellar to look for something underneath the house the, uh, where the waterbed used to be. And he's like, honey, don't go down there. Your, your trist will get dirty. Like, he's clearly not wanting her to go down there. It's a sweet, funny little moment that actually made me laugh. Oh, there's a solid relationship at the end when he doesn't have his pills and she opens her locket and there's a pill in there. Like That's great. Yeah. They're great. They're a great couple. I love, like, their relationship goals straight up. But the movie yeah, well, around them that needs work. No, in the movie, movie wanted at times, especially towards the end, wanted to just be like a oh shit, we gotta wrap this thing up, you know, because people might not see Vera and Patrick together again in this in this setting. 
So they show them under the gazebo a million times as kids. I was like, wait, wait, is this a rom-com now? <laughs> <laughs> I love the, I love the little touches. Like you said, the, the pill in the locket or like when he talks about her dress, but when you just keep nailing it, nailing it, nailing it, showing them as whatever 16 year olds, yeah. it, it, it gets a little old. Like, like, like I'm watching a notebook, you know? Yeah. Another cliche I fucking hated. And it was when Ed gets possessed and he's trying to kill Lorraine and Lorraine's like, remember who you are. Remember yeah. me. And he like fights it. I'm so tired of seeing that. It's in every fucking genre. There's one of those. And you know, it's never going to, he's not going to kill her. You know that there's no emotional stakes in that at all. And I want that. <laughs> yeah, that was, and yeah, like it's like awesome. I'm saying it makes you go back to that goddamn scene on the gazebo. Which at first, the first time they showed, I was like, okay, cool. Huh, sweet yeah, yeah. But yeah, then yeah. they kept going back to it. I was like, stop going back to the fucking gazebo. To the point that when they had that little moment where they have it at the end of the movie, I'm like, stop. I don't care anymore. Had you just shown that one time, this moment would have been awesome. But I don't care anymore about your goddamn gazebo. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm going to have like PTSD one day and like I'm going to. Go near a gazebo with like <laughs> significant other and be like, God damn it, not a gazebo. <laughs> Question. So Arnie has had this demon like around him since the stabbing, right? It's clearly haunting him in the in the prison. It's with him. So how the hell was he able to read from the Bible and prove to Ed and Lorraine that he was no longer possessed? Because he clearly is. Remember, they have that line later in the movie where they're like as long as she's not doing her ritual, apparently it leaves. Yeah. Well, how convenient is that? Yeah. Uh, oh, no, say- no, 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 no. The demon's gone. The demon's gone. It's get, it's get taking a fucking restroom break for a second. Yeah. <laughs> He's that's- napping. He's very tired. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's, that's some, you know, some sideshow like, well, I can't read your mind today. The, the stars aren't in the right alignments. Come yeah. back Wednesday when I've learned more about you. <laughs> That just makes me feel like I am at work sometimes. I'm like, hey, can you do this? Mm, no, I can't. I don't like it. I'm going to take a break. <laughs> That's what this demon was. I don't want to do this today. I'm just kind of tired, guys. He doesn't. Like, he's being, you know, forced to do this by the Satanist. Also, at the end, when the Satanist is taken by the demon, were you kind of expecting it to be Valak? I was expecting that. A little bit. Um, but at the same time, I was also getting annoyed with that scene because I was tired of Ed having his like little like action one liners. I was like, <laughs> Ed, shut up. <laughs> Our soul needs to go back with them. Okay, we get it. I kind of figured it's... I know I've watched the fucking movie. <laughs> that was a hell of a sledgehammer strike to take down that whole altar. I love that Lorraine's just like pushing this stone slab. Yeah, it's gonna just fall over. Did that was that was that scene directed by Zack Snyder? The slow mo. <laughs> oh man, I was like, "What are we doing here?" Oh my god, what <laughs> happened? Heart problems. Yeah, yeah that kind of just went away, didn't it? During that whole scene, he's just like, "Well, I guess I no longer had a heart attack a day ago. I can just bolt through these tunnels, wave a sledgehammer around." Just... It's really weird because at moments you can see like Patrick Wilson acting with the mindset of like i'm playing a character with a heart disease or heart problem because he has his like uh labored breathing and all that stuff but then it just momentarily disappears i've never 
I've never had a heart attack. I've never known anyone who had one or like how the post heart attack, you know, living is, but I'm assuming those pills aren't like instantly clearing up whatever issue you have going on at the time. Like we don't have medicine that can do that. No, I don't think they do. I don't think they do. Lorraine Warren does though. (laughs) Yeah. She's got psychic pills. Yeah, exactly. You saw how powerful she was. She could do anything. Apparently, yeah, she's like a fucking like witch. <laughs> yeah, I thought for a minute I thought I was watching WandaVision. Yeah, she's an oracle. Like she can straight up <laughs> see, you know, through the, the eyes of the dead. Uh, I like the first two. Kind of implies that like she's a little clairvoyant. She can kind of help. And this one, she's straight up superpowers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, and and I think I think the the first two. Well, especially that first one. That's my favorite. I don't know about you guys of the three, yeah. right? First oh, yeah. one. Um, L- Lily Taylor is giving one of the best horror performances I've ever seen in my life. And that's a, that the movie hinges upon her just, just shattering it. It's, it really is. It rivals like Tony Collette and hereditary for me. It's just out of the, out of this world type stuff. And, and, you know, balances out Ron Livingston, you know, yeah. <laughs> legit good actors. Yeah, yeah, Lily Taylor is yeah, totally crushing it in the first one. She's, I, I again, she's part of the reason I believe that that shit's happening in that movie is she, she scares the shit out of me. Yeah, Lily Taylor's really good in the first one. And yeah, Ron Livingston is Ron Livingston, but I kind of went with it in The Conjuring because I was me like, too. Oh, he's a dude with like how many daughters? Like no guy in the house. Like he's probably like deep down super tired yeah yeah just like man i just want a nap yeah <laughs> it's like, i saw all these kids i just want a nap. with ron livingston in the movie i just kept picturing the ghost of bill lumberg just being like, yeah yeah if you could just move out that would be great lumberg you fucked lumberg <laughs> well, we need you to uh, come in on saturday <laughs> ever since i've started working here each day has been worse than the day before it. So every day that you see me, that's on the worst day of my life. <laughs> what about today? Yeah, dude, that's messed up. <laughs> I think the most alive his character is in the first Conjuring is when he, she makes up and she's like, honey, you left bruises on me last time. He's like, what? Like, it's the most <laughs> alive he gets. Like, I didn't know. So good. We had standard 70s husband and wife making love. That's all. I did not leave bruises on you. (laughs) (laughs) Good God. Um, One thing I will say, the the reason this movie gets a seven for me and not a six is there was one thing in this movie. Oh, damn, a seven. Wow. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Let's hear it. (laughs) One thing in this movie that scared the shit out of me, it's the dead fat guy. Yeah, reminded me of um, Scary Stories. Yes, yes, it did. There's something about yeah. that shape in like the shadows that really gets under my skin. I don't know what it is. It, yeah, yeah it, his intro scene was actually like really well done. Yeah. You kind of just see him turning, and it's like, Rain, wake up. Yeah. Rain. It's like, I'm about to die. <laughs> he looks legit concerned. <laughs> I was like, I don't want to get tackled by that thing. <laughs> I have a heart problem. Come on. And then when he just like gets her arm off the thing and it just collapses. Ooh, that was creepy. And then when it that, that fucker comes back later, like, oh boy. 
Yeah, that was unnerving. In his house, you know, not no concern for the daughter in his house. That guy fucking ate the daughter. That's what happened. <laughs> oh, there you go. Yeah. He's gone. <laughs> oh, that's such a that's such an oversight. You think somebody on that set would be like, where's the actress who plays the daughter should have said something like, Am I in the room? I'm here. <laughs> you need me on set there, Mike? <laughs> no, no, you can go home. <laughs> Look, I didn't mean to let them out of the, the box in the last movie, but you know what you did. Go home. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. So yeah, I, I give this a seven. It's not nearly as good as the first two. I blame mostly a change in leadership, but like I you know, it's had its moments. That dead fat dude. I'm, I'm going to be thinking about that. <laughs> uh, I, I agree with you. Uh, I gave it a seven as well. It, Yeah, Vaughn not being attached to direct, it, it does show. Um, I think they try a little too hard to go over to be bigger than the past two. It does have its moments. I think, again, Wilson and Farmiga are as stellar as they have been for the past two films and now this one. So, yeah, seven as well. Yeah. Oh boy, I, f- I feel like we just kind of shit on it the whole time. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. I hear, I hear you guys. I, I, I think, I think the, the, the fat, the fat man, that character was was really good. And there's a couple set pieces that are that are really nice. Uh, and the beginning is awesome when the little boy is totally fucking. You know, his spine is just spinning and crawling and doing all this stuff. That was really cool. Um, but. <clears throat> When you watch, you know, and you guys know more than I do, uh, y'all watch more horror movies than I do. You, you just you, you, you get tired of the little things that are redundant uh, in this genre. And I think that this this movie in particular does that multiple times. Right. Where it's not just doing one thing that's redundant in this decade of horror. It does multiple things. And it, it was quite frustrating. I think my expectations are probably too high. Yeah. But but I love the first two. Um, they're both the first two are both like solid eights for me. Uh, and so with that being said, this one's a five for me. I, I don't, I think it's, I think it's right down mediocre street. Doesn't really, I, I don't really see, I might buy it just to finish my collection, but I really don't care to rewatch it anytime soon. Damn. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Yeah. I think just really for, for me, I like getting scared and it doesn't happen a lot. So even in the shittiest movies, when it does happen, I like to throw a little extra. You That's I mean? fair. Yeah. I understand that. And it does have its moments of like, Ooh, man, you know, really, I, I really was, was thinking about what was happening, but yeah, this, this story, we all agree. The story just is, is lacking in the, the vision without James Wan. And um, I also felt the trailer was very disingenuous. I was like, yeah. this was going to yeah. be horror courtroom drama. Yeah, me too. I was looking forward to that. I thought this was going to be about the trial of Arnie Johnson and proving demonic possession in court. Yes, and Vera Farmiga just played um, uh, a lawyer in a few years ago. When they see us, that Netflix miniseries, and she was unbelievable in the courtroom. So I was I was ready to see her in a different role in the in the courtroom, you know. Uh, And then of course Patrick Wilson too. But yeah, we didn't really get that. No, we got none of that. We got like you know the plea, and then the sentencing what a what a gym yeah yeah well and not just with this many like talking about like you know the cliches and it not really living up to me that's been some how i felt about the overall conjuring universe movie franchise yeah is that honestly like ever, ever after two 
I haven't really cared for a lot of these movies. I really think this is a franchise that's because of what it is, it's run its course already. Yeah. Um, and that it needs then, but again, money speaks, and right now it's so hugely successful, so they're gonna keep doing them. But I mean, yeah, ever since Conjuring 2, I thought Animal Comes Home was okay. I, yeah, I hated the nun. I fucking hated the nun. I yeah, not good. Not good. Um Curse of La Llorona was only mildly better, but not by a lot than the nun. Yeah. And now forgettable. One, yeah. And now you have this one, which was the weakest of the main films, and so forth. Those have been up until this point the best part of the franchise. Yeah. The only one I really thought was decent, like apart from the first conjuring, how Annabelle creation was good. But again, I I don't remember like anything about it. I right? remember liking yeah. it, but I haven't <laughs> seen it since the movies. And I like I've seen I've watched the first two conjuring films multiple times, but the rest oh, of them yeah. really haven't desired to. And that's yeah. a shame. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, we may have seen, yeah, like Caleb said, just kind of it ran its course, this this uh franchise and yeah. goes out with a, a mixed one. You think this is the end? It's an end of an era, at, at least, right? I think Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga, are, I think, I think they're probably done playing these characters. Uh, yeah. But maybe, maybe we'll see something, you know, within this world, you know. Um, I, I, I just, I hope, I hope this guy Michael Chavez uh, finds his niche because this isn't really it, you know. <laughs> is, it, is it Chavez? I don't know. Or Ch- Chave, Chave sounds a little odd, but maybe maybe it is. I don't know. I wasn't sure. I've, uh, I've been calling him Chaves. Yeah. Wait, now uh, I'm not sure. I figured if we both say, if we do both, one of us has it, so we got it covered. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. It's, it's hard to tell if this franchise is over or not, because like financially, it's so profitable. It is. But critically, I haven't seen any of the films get a good review since Roll Conjuring 2. Like, I haven't yeah. seen five years ago. Yeah. 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 I haven't seen a single one get a good review. And not just from critics. Obviously, you have franchises, franchises like Saw that critics hate, but we're on the ninth film now. Um, but even like from the fans, most people I talk to that like really liked this when it first came out haven't again liked anything since Conjuring 2. Like, I haven't heard any of the other ones since then get from fans talked about it in a good way so it's like yeah money wise it could keep going but the fan reception is going down bad on this so, yeah what yeah. are you doing to your legacy you know uh if you have eight films and only two of them are good you know what are you doing right uh that's that's hard to swallow i think that the only one that is still going to happen because we haven't seen it yet is obviously the warren prequel movie where they yeah, take on and their obviously, first case. And, yeah, and obviously that won't be them. So yeah, I, I just think that Patrick and Vera are done. I think that era is done for this universe. They're going to cast some Riverdale douchebag, and he's going to uh, be Ed. It'll grab somebody off some, you know, Netflix teeny, teeny bopper comedy, and that'll be Lorraine, and they'll go after some CGI ghost we don't care about. Oh, yep. I hope not, man. made me reboot it. That's that's your sign right there. The moment they do a prequel, get worried. That means we're running out of ideals. Uh-huh. Let's go backwards. <laughs> yeah, because you don't know how to move forward. Yeah. Prequel or if they ever send them in space. Those are yeah. like the two signs that we've officially done with ideals. 
I would love to see them just not give a fuck and just do like a Warrens versus Aliens movie. <laughs> oh yeah, Roswell. Oh, we were there. We were there. We were in Roswell, the Warrens. <laughs> Conjuring five in space. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah. You were talking about how prequels means lack of uh, you know lack of new ideas. Didn't they immediately do Annabelle after the Conjuring? Yeah. Yeah. They ran out of ideas really fast. I think I think they recognized that like and it was that was genius marketing was like, oh my God, this doll, this thing, this thing that we can kind of use as our object, kind of our our poster. Yeah. It, it's it's genius to do in horror, to have, you know, Chucky or to have Michael Myers or to have a a figure or a person or a doll, whatever it is, is 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 good to have as like a, a thing that we recognize. Yeah. That oh oh it's time to get scared because fucking Annabelle's on the screen. I get it. I've got a Funko Pop of Annabelle. I get yeah, it. there you go. Have y'all ever seen the actual Annabelle the doll? Yeah, it's just a Raggedy Ann doll. Yeah, it's yeah. Raggedy Ann doll. That's yeah. That's that's a great metaphor for this franchise. I think like just looks really scary, but you look underneath it. There's not really a lot to, a lot yeah. to be freaked out about. It's the you know it's the night it's the monster under the bed. Like, I don't know. I just feel like I wanted more. We should have gotten more. And now I'm going to look back on this whole thing as kind of a, kind of a letdown. This isn't admittedly from the bat. This has not been my most favorite horror franchise that horror has offered me. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause like I said, like, I love the first, I love both conjurings. Well, the first two now at this point, uh, I like animal creation, but then everything outside of that has been okay to just terrible to me and that's not a good batting average like at least like the other friend i mean texas chancellor massacre halloween friday 13th i'm on elm street child's play saw even Carnal activity like a good chunk of those franchises a good chunk of those movies i like what do you think i'm actually i'm curious uh what do you guys think warrants a good franchise because i'm thinking at least three good movies oh it's so tough that's so tough. I think it really depends on what you're talking about. I think something like Halloween is really hard to compare to Star Wars. I think it's so difficult. Uh, for me, I'm like, I'm like a perfectionist to where it's like, even like, I like probably six of the Harry Potter movies out of eight. But even then, I, I kind of dog on it a lot, right? I, I love those because they're, 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 it's great storytelling. But the movies within themselves, you know, I, I can't say it's like a great franchise, you know, I don't think I can say that because it's not all great. That's why like the Lord of the Rings trilogy, if I take the Hobbit out, that's the best because I see all those movies as perfect and just kind of awesome. Whereas Star Wars has too many just kind of lackluster whatever movies for me to say it's a great franchise. I think it's, uh, I think it's longevity and lasting impact. Yeah, two real key things. Um, you know, the fact that like I know I know I'm opening a wound here with James Bond here in a minute for you, Connor. Oh boy, yeah. That that series has lasted 50 years. I mean, that's and people are so dying to see this new one. I mean, I know you're not the only one. Everyone's dying to see this fucking new one. So, like, and that that says a lot about that franchise right there. That 50 years on, it's still a thing. I mean, look at Godzilla versus Kong. There's Again, that's what 60 something years like old as shit, and people flock yeah. to see Godzilla versus Kong. The Invisible Man, that's over a hundred 
years. And yet it was one of the biggest hits out of 2020. Okay. I agree with you. Although it's not a hundred years. Universal has, uh, it was close to a hundred. Invisible man came out in 1933. Yeah. 90 years, I guess of almost. Yeah. Oh yeah. 90. I'm sorry. Or like 87. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> No, no, Connor, Connor, I think I think that's interesting. You said three films. Does that mean at least three? Does that does that does it depend on how many there are in the franchise or just at least three? I think you have to, you know, for franchises like James Bond and Godzilla, which have, you know, well over 20, 30 films, you have to adjust that number. But as long as I'm reasonably entertained. I'm I'm okay. like, you know, take. Uh, take Halloween, for example. Okay. I can watch the first Halloween and love it. I can watch Halloween 2 and accept it. I can watch 2018's Halloween, love it. To me, it's a decent franchise. But what about all the stuff in between? You just, you just kind of like pick and choose? or like, well, does, like, Do you take it into account when you're saying Halloween is a great franchise through and through? Yeah, Connor, what about the stuff in between? Yeah. <laughs> Go on. Let's hear it. Let's hear to it. Fair, to be fair, I have not seen four through H2O. So okay. I can't judge that yet. I can only judge what I have seen. What I have seen is so good that I think you, it kind of balances itself out. Okay. I like uh, that. Okay. I, I think Star, Star Wars is, is good, right? Because it's, it's huge. It's hugely popular. And it's, it's, it's over a 40-something year span. So I, I don't give a rat's ass what's popular. I look into, you know, yeah, yeah but it's story. everybody, everybody knows what it is. We've all seen those, right? I haven't seen all the Halloweens either. Star Wars is a, a, do you think that is a good franchise? Yeah, I actually, I enjoy most of the Star Wars films. I like the prequels for their own misguided fun, but yeah, I, I, I like those movies. So yes, same. I would say the same thing with Star Trek. I like most okay. of those too. Okay. Uh, there's few franchises that I have just hated every single one of them. You know, I don't think I've ever, ever felt that way, but there's definitely, I, I guess I'm a little bit harsher. Like I think I would, I would even say, I don't think uh, Rocky is a great franchise because a couple of them, I just do not care for at all. Ah, I love the Rocky movies. I think the worst franchise I've sat all the way through and Caleb, you're going to hate me for saying this, but I got to be honest is Friday the 13th. I think most of those are terrible. I like maybe one or two. Not I've only a fan seen of that two franchise. of them. Yeah. I don't like that franchise pretty much at all. Oh my god! Yeah, son of a bitch. I like when he goes to space, and I like when he fights Freddy. The rest of them I could do without. Those are the backbone of the American slasher craze, nineteen eighties. <laughs> okay. I that love means, that. Means nothing to me. I look. I love that series. The first six are great, fun movies. Seven's weird because it's he fights a telekinesis that does get weird. Eight is horribly titled because he does not go to Manhattan to like the last 20 minutes. And then I do, I actually do with a passion hate the one when he goes to hell. I but a passion hate that one. Um, but yeah, Jason X is awesome. Jason's afraid of water. Why would he hitch a ride on the bottom of a fucking boat? They were on their eighth film, they he were was afraid of water in that movie. Jesus yeah. Christ. Look, it'll never sell that, me on Friday the 13th. That is a great series with great 
iconic characters, amazing deaths, and Jason is a fucking badass. Don't you do it? Don't you do it? Oh my god! No, no, thumbs down because this is not a visual podcast. Uh, yeah, it's it's not. Ugh. I'm kind of the same way about Freddy. Honestly, I think most of those suck too. <laughs> I think. <laughs> what are you doing to me right now? I'm just basically. Yeah, been... yeah, this is the verbal equivalent of killing you with a voodoo doll. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, we've we've been recording for two hours, and it's like, all right, now I'm going to finally get my franchise noise out. <laughs> Conversation is for another time you know we've yet to tackle elm street or friday on filmgasm when we get there i'll give it another shot well may- maybe you could uh take the week off connor let caleb and josh <laughs> honestly i might i don't know if i want to go down i don't know if i want to go back to springwood or crystal lake i did not enjoy my time there oh you you are you will you, be going back you down. will you will <laughs> second oh, is always the most important connor <laughs> Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, next week. <laughs> that's right. I'm ending this shit right now. Mighty Ducks. Mighty Ducks. That's my favorite franchise. <laughs> oh, I can't, you know what? I can't wait to make Con go through the Texas Chainsaw Massacre franchise. That's a fun one. I've seen enough of that. Of no. That nope. Horseshit. Oh, I've seen nope. enough. We're going to go through all of them. Uh, yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> Next week we get whimsical with Lin Manuel Miranda's long-awaited musical *In the Heights*, releasing oh in theaters and HBO Max. Uh, okay, two and a half hours. I looked up; it's two and a half hours. Oh Christ! Really? Yeah. Oh man. Short yeah. musicals don't exist. No, they don't. They don't. They really like to yeah just hammer it home, don't they? Yep. Also uh, releasing is Anton Fuqua's *Infinite*, exclusively on Paramount Plus. I don't have very high hopes for that one, but I'm going to watch it nonetheless. It's what it's what we do. Uh, Peter Rabbit 2, The Runaway also comes out, but we're, we're, we're not going to do that one. Yeah, got to, you know, I'll save that maybe for an Oscar Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be our 200th episode spectacular, the Peter Rabbit franchise. <laughs> you're talking about all those movies that you're not the most excited for Peter Rabbit 2. Uh, actually yeah i mean jesus yeah musicals are not really my 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 thing but that movie is gonna be uh talked about a lot in the heights so next next week is going to be a two and a half hour musical and an unofficial mark Wahlberg highlander remake that nobody asked for sweet god what a great weekend (laughs) what's uh what's on filmgasm this week on Wednesday's Filmgasm, Josh and I are discussing the 1983 slasher cult classic Sleepaway Camp, which I actually did like. So you there know, you go. Not a horror prude or whatever. I just I like good movies and I don't like bad ones. Caleb. Well, you're, you're kind of a prude. You're kind of a prude. <laughs> Most of uh, the horror fans will kill you for not liking Friday the 13th. So you calm down there. <laughs> On Oscar Sunday, Austin and I will be discussing the 1958 Sidney Poitier Tony Curtis drama The Defiant Ones. Looking forward to that. Oh, yeah. Probably a good movie, I would imagine. I want to thank Caleb and Austin for being here today. Thank you, guys. This has been a blast. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Loved it. Uh, Have a great week, everyone, and keep watching movies. We'll see you next week.